Teddy Atlas one. Yeah. Have you listened to it? That was a decent one. It's good, isn't it? Uh, so, Terry, tell me the story behind why you've got a chocolate gato in front of you before we start recording. I'm hungry. No, you, you started off with a more interesting story than that before you went for I'll make one up for you. <laughs> it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> no, I was running late for a train and it was on platform 15. You should know this, Andy. You've often been late for trains. And there's only one... <laughs> there's only one... Th- and there's only one thing, like, between buying a ticket and getting to platform 15 and it's Patissi Valerie, right? So I just had to run in there, get it. Patissi the, the la- <laughs> Yeah. Listen, man. Late- Why don't you come on over there? Well, I'm going to get a picture of it and so I can tweet And welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast, where we have a full team, including me, Andy White, your host, and with me today, Mr. Mike Theobald. Yeah, we can come back home, and we can come back home, home again. That was interesting. And we can come back home. I've been watching uh, The Greatest Showman. Have you seen it? No. no. Oh, mate, don't... <laughs> Is that? Don't turn this. Don't turn this off immediately. <laughs> fucking brilliant! It's a real feel-good film. It's a fucking musical. It's All good. All musicals should be fucking. Nah, just nah, nah, turn no, it in. Not turn Sweeney in. Todd. Not Sweeney Todd. No, right. So what happens is there's this guy Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd musical magic. There's this guy who creates like a a product that people want to come and see in his home territory, and he gets really, really popular. And then he gets ideas above his station and starts teaming up with something outside of his comfort zone and takes it worldwide. And he has to leave somebody back home. We'll call him, I don't know, Frank Smith. Um, I don't know, Frank Smith will do. Because he really took in the story. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll call the main geezer Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) And so he has to go off and start trying to spread his product elsewhere while this like really boring person, Frank Smith, is left at home to try and sell the product, <laughs> but people aren't that interested, and then it all goes wrong overseas, or like it's still in America, but and then he, <laughs> and then he, <laughs> and then Eddie has to come back, and then everything burns down, and then he has to try and rebuild it uh, because it's, it's one billion contract that he had to take stuff out, like to other places it's reminding me but, but it ends it ends with an old man called Frank just stood there in charge of everything yeah just with the match <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so yeah it turns out like his one billion deal wasn't that good so okay that's kind of in a nutshell but you know you should watch it it's good it's a good um, film feel good Terry you've now eaten your post black oh, sorry, forest slice get it right yeah. Black, Black Forest Slice. Black Forest Slice. Listen, you don't get enough Black Forest anything in shops anymore. I I'm remember, a big fan. Yeah, remember when Iceland used to do the Black Forest Gatto? Tesco you, do. do you, what? Tesco do what? <laughs> Especially in the lead up to Christmas. Tune into the Black Forest Appreciation Podcast. No, no, they do. Do you know what? Don't, and it's, it's no, reasonably no, 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 priced. Don't, don't say that because I'll empty my freezer and I'll just buy every one of them. 
I mean, Tesco have a lot of stores. You've got a fucking big freezer, my friend. Well, Tesco are struggling, man. It's all, it's all Jack stores, isn't it? Is that That's true. They yeah. <laughs> They've just do. got a forest ghetto. It's a cheaper version. As long as it's got the cherries in. I, I, I'll take less I chocolate, more cherry. I don't understand the, the chocolate and fruit mix. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I love me. it. I'm a big fan. Yes. I'm Mind blowing. Do you, when you have like those, you know, those chocolate fountains, do you dip? So I, think, have you... I, don't, I don't believe in chocolate fountains. I try not to go to but, weddings, which is the only place you find Chocolate should never liquefy. Do you remember? Uh, so w- one of our mates, he, his ex-girlfriend... You, she, you ever put chocolate on your beard? No. Okay. But On your beard? <laughs> I don't know. Have a proper chocolate beard. Just walk around outside. See if people <laughs> notice this is a chocolate See beard. <laughs> I think they would notice. What is that melting? <laughs> Why is that man covered in chocolate? Aha. Uh-huh. It looks like Michael Jackson in a sauna. <laughs> but I remember like this chocolate fountain. Imagine the there'd be the women house. on their period looking at you going. What what? what? <laughs> just licking their chops. Just go, look at look at his beard. <laughs> look at his beard. Mmm. This happened. Anyway, what? We... a girlfriend. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and there's the chocolate fountain going, and then their brownies. Oh my god. Me and Sam, me and Fairhurst were just like Brownies in a chocolate fountain. Yeah. Well, they were on the side. They weren't. They weren't designed to be dumped in a chocolate fountain. You're such only, a rebel. Only someone really going, really charging head first for diabetes would do such a thing. <laughs> but anyway, that must have been such a fun party. <laughs> I've heard Big Baby Miller. Big Baby Miller swears by that diet. I oh, lives by it. <laughs> to hit 350 pounds is yeah. He's um, on his way. Right, did anyone have a particularly interesting weekend? No, yeah. but can I, before we start, can oh. I just say, so sometimes you've got to just touch on, you know, when you lose one of your own. But on Friday was the funeral of a man called Gary Thompson. So Gary Thompson used to coach at Buxton Amateur Boxing Club. And he's the father of a really good friend of mine, a guy called Matt Thompson, who also used to box for them. And the funeral was on Friday and just massive condolences. You know, we've lost one of our own. He... Uh, people won't know necessarily who he is, but he he is the guy that basically gave the world Jack Massey. So that lets you know the standard he operates at. Jack Massey, I mean, amateur standout. He's doing his thing as a pro. Should come on the radar more next year. But absolutely class fighter. My condolences genuinely for Gary. I mean, the whole family, Selena, Matt, just everyone. Because, I mean, Matt's a friend. Like We've been friends for 11 years. So I got to hear all the stories, in fact. He was first to tell me about Jack Massey. You know, sometimes you hear these names, you're like, nah, shut up. And then I'm, you start to watch him rise. So just massively disappointed. It's always sad when you lose someone that passionate and that experienced in the world of boxing. Nicely touched upon. Um, I don't think we have any particularly interesting stories from the weekend. No, so, I've had a week off. Week off work. It's my birthday during the week. I've just decorated all week long. All week long. Nice. Yeah, but you use a fucking lot of paint, mate. And that's oh, what's weird. That is what's fucked me off. But the good if thing I, is... If I'm completely honest with you, I don't normally pick a bone with you, but that... If I'm fucking <laughs> honest, mate, I'm raging. I'm raging. How the fuck can you paint a wall and use that much paint? It's disgusting. Well, who dips brownies in, in chocolate fountains? Like, you've got to have a sense of perspective here. But the good thing is, I've swerved. <laughs> I've swerved decorating for many years. Like, I'm not a fan of it. But now I've, like, I've had to paint and decorate like an entire loft conversion in a week and like the stairs and the stairwells but I've never really done it before so now that I've done it I feel like I can criticise everybody else's because if I've never decorated a room I can't criticise other rooms whereas now I feel like an interior designer that can go round 
Like, I'm just honestly, watch your paintwork because you want mind you don't get blocked though. <laughs> um, so you didn't do anything interesting, you didn't do well. You know where I was that. yesterday, so come on. I didn't, yeah. Well, actually, that's fairly interesting, but we'll touch upon yeah. that, I presume, later down uh, the yeah, line. I was ground zero, I was ground zero. I love the fact when it's kicking off at a Warren show, I get a video of Terry. <laughs> from Terry in the middle of like where it's kicking off just in selfie mode with him yeah. <laughs> alone of whoever it was Check behind this. him Millwall <laughs> um, don't go and watch First Man with Ryan Gosling because it's fucking terrible no go and watch Great Showman enough said there um, right so all we've got now really to do is talk about the boxing to finish off really yeah quickly round it up and uh, Go on. Right. I'm just going off what you have put in front of me on this. I, normally, obviously, listeners will know, normally I am down with everything that's happened in the boxing world. This weekend, rare occasion, I'm not quite sharp this weekend. So I'm uh, going to really sort of lean on you two guys for carrying most of the <laughs> of the weight this, this week. Um, the Warren card. Terry, you were there? Uh, well, for not, not for all of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> No, so, so, so in between the traffic you, uh, stopping you from getting there early and the 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 fight club that ensued halfway through. No, so don't so, talk about that. No, no, so the, <laughs> you're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> Why? No one talks about fight clubs, first rule. So I think... Uh, <laughs> and the second rule. <laughs> Why? Why? Failed. No, so... let First and foremost, thanks to BT Sport for giving giving our club free tickets for the fight. So I, I know people go, oh, so Warren shows this, is that. But when people, yeah, I mean, that's that's that thing I like, the idea that if you haven't sold every ticket, give them to the amateur clubs, let the guys come over. Agree. You know, get them excited by that. So that was good. We made a bit of a road trip with some of the guys, which was fantastic. You know, it was absolutely brilliant. So really appreciate and that. they good to watch Coach Terry chin it off halfway through to join a riot. <laughs> They were there. No, no, everyone was there. Like guys had to fight their way out, and like luckily they were perfectly trained for that. But but let, let let's let's talk about it for you know, from terms of headlines. Good card. You know, we we criticize quali- the quality of cards very often, and it's so and so. Your A sides are always going to win, and Frank gives you a card where you didn't know who was going to win sometimes, and I think we should appreciate that. So I think as a card, as a series of matches you can't fault it. But I think it would be a miss of me not to address the elephant in the room, which is, you know, what happened during the Johnny Garton fight, which considering that that was, was that the first Frank Warren show to be shown on ESPN? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> the Americans are in for a roller coaster, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone heard that. My spine just popped back into place. That was nice. Um, so let's just start with, with the fight itself. So in the crowd, you had Nathan Gorman's people, all travellers, and they were all big lumps, and they were sat in their bit, right? So they're sat, if you know, if you, you, you guys all know what the hard camera is, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So the hard camera, they're on the extreme left. Yep. Right? So as you're, watch, as you're watching the TV screen, imagine it's all, all the Gorman people are on that left-hand side. Which... It's quite noticeable because later on in the show, like as the show progressed, that was where the police were lining in their luminous yellow jackets. <laughs> SWAT tier. <laughs> so you had that there, right? And 
during the Sadiq fight, they're all good. Like, they're just there watching the boxing and chilling. So during the Umar Sadiq, Zach Chelly fight, which we'll come on to later, it's calm. Everyone's all right. We're all watching the fight. And we're all enjoying it because it was a really, really good fight. So what ends up happening is, as the, as the Sadiq fight ends, you can start to see the, the Millwall guys start to all congregate in the corner where we were at. So... Because if, Johnny Garton's due up next, who's yeah. got a big Millwall following us. Yeah, so if you look at your TV screen, top left corner is where everyone's kind of congregating towards. And there are a few guys there that I knew. For South East London's not that big a place. You kind of know each other. Some of those guys have kids that box with us or have boxed at previous clubs I've been at. So a few handshakes. How are you guys doing? Not a few of them. So I know that there are guys there that can handle themselves. That's not a joke. And it all starts off quite boisterous. Johnny walks to the ring. It's all very, you know, very sing-songy, very happy, very just, you know, typical. I mean, when you get a South East London fighter, typical sort of atmosphere. A football crowd. Yeah, definitely a football crowd. It's worth noting as well, you said they're Nathan Gorman followers. Gary Corcoran's a traveller as well. He's from ah, a travelling background. Ah, okay. That's the missing piece in this because... So where we're sat with the Millwall lot at the bottom are a group of ladies, really attractive ladies for the record. So Gary's got some, he's got a good following. <laughs> but they're all Gary Corcoran fans. And so at this point, everything's all right. Everyone's having a laugh. You know, you've got your typical football, had a few lines, had a few pints, and they're having a little dance and that. But you can see the numbers starting to swell. So I said to the ladies in front, I said, you guys need to be really careful because this could turn in a heartbeat. And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. And I'm looking at my guys and I'm saying, listen, you lot be very careful because I think this is going to kick off. You could, you know, when you can just see there's energy there and it's not, it's not together. It's usually when you have two swells of people that yes. are growing in numbers and you almost hit that Venn diagram point whereby they cross over. Yeah. So, so what you've got at this point, right? So we're into round one and it's your typical hit him, hit him, knock, knock him out. out. <laughs> Everyone was synchronized. That. So yeah, so that's that's where you're at at this point. And it gets more and more boisterous now. Now it's the football songs are coming out. And the venue security show up, right? There's about 12 of them. 12. And no no, but the size of the people they had, that's enough of a deterrent. So they're there now and they've realized that there's a lot of stuff going back and forth between the travelers and the Millwall lot, right? So they've come and they've had a look, and they've sort of done the whole, we're a deterrent. Like, okay, cool. You guys look like you Show their faces and yeah. their jackets. And the energy slowed down. No jackets, just t-shirts. And I don't know what happened. It's either for someone, someone must have just thought, I don't fancy this. And started walking off. So they've all now walked off, which I was like, ooh, not clever. So I go and get a drink. Because it's like the bell goes to end, I think it was the end of the second round or something. Can't even remember what rounds these were. So I go over to the drink. The bar doesn't work. The lady just gives me my drinks for free because she's like, I can't use a card machine. Gotta love her. Bonus. I know. <clears throat> but do you know when you can just hear? I don't even know what it was. Because what this situation needed was free alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so my instincts have kicked in at this point And I'm like, I swear it's kicking off. Just, you know, when the door opens, you can hear something and it doesn't feel like it did when you left. And I've just thought of the I've thought of the guys I've come with. I'm like, shit. So I'm running. I'm trying to drink and run at the same time. And as I run in, 
the first person I'm confronted with is the guy. His nose is broken. He's bleeding. I think his teeth have gone as well. He's bleeding. I'm looking up and there's a guy and he's just four-pieced someone. And you know when I say four-pieced, like, bam, bam. Imagine Linus hitting the pads and he's like, give me four straight. It was crack, crack, crack. And the guy's just dropped. And I'm like, Jesus. Like, it was... That was a bit I couldn't film because I'm I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. So I'm I'm basically I've got my arms up. I'm catching stuff as well because I'm trying to get to where I was. The Corcoran ladies are gone at this point. There's one old lady still sat <laughs> in her seat, refusing to move. <laughs> I love that. She knows what she she can handle herself. Yeah, she was like, "No, nah, I'm all right, all right." But, I've seen worse. Yeah. So so between the two stands, you've been to the Brentwood Centre. So you've got yeah. the the seated bit to the left of the entrance when they walk out. Yeah. And then the bit, the, the main stand almost. And the, between that gap there is where all the fighting was happening. And it's just, it, it was going off and they were throwing stuff, glasses, whatever. I saw a phone get thrown, everything. It was just <laughs> throwing a phone. Just everything. And, and at this point, there are no police, right? So this was going on for ages. That's when you start hearing, you lot aren't boxing fans, sit down. Sit down. <laughs> And it's like this guy had any control over what was going on. But it must have gone from very little to a lot quite quickly because I went to go and put my lad to bed in between rounds. And so I, he was upstairs playing on his Xbox and it was all okay. There was just boxing. And then I come back down and all I can hear on the TV is, you, anyone will be prosecuted who's involved in this. It was the secu- security lost control. And this is why, because they'd left, and by the time it kicked off, there's only a narrow passage where you can get through to try and, you know, get between them. So you're having to fight people who are like, we're not letting you through. We know who you are. So they're taking a hell of a shellacking. There's a lot of guys there who realize they're not really about this violence life because they bottled it. And actually, it seemed to be self-policing. Like, I think a lot of the traveler guys are like, no, no, listen, we're all going to get nicked. This is stupid. So then it calms down. Because I think, like, it's just calmed down because you've had, they've taken people out bleeding and stuff. It's calmed down at this point. And you're just watching it. And then there's little pockets of it obviously kicking off because people still want to have a go. Like, there's a video that I don't know if you see it. It was so funny. There's this one guy. And he's behind, like, three or four different people. And he's there doing his, like, his, his like you know, his hopping stance. Like, he's ready to fight. <laughs> And then he runs around the corner. He does it again. Not once does he engage anyone with violence. Now everyone was scared of him. He just said, you know, you just look good for the gram. <laughs> I was ready to go. <laughs> so at this Undefeated. Point, so at this point, they've lost control, right? But it's calmed down. And you're like, okay, fine. So I'll go over to that side. That's when I bumped into Shaz and everyone. Because they're, they're right on the other side. And it sounds completely different on this side of the ring because it's quite flat in terms of atmosphere. Then, then the SWAT team come in, like the, the police riot squad in that come in at this point. Riot squad. No, so they're there, they're there with the high visits. Yeah, no, I know. And the, and they the get a lot of business at Warren shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> Buy one, get one free. So, so I'm going to speak, but, but here. So they come in and they go up the stairs, round the top to yeah. try and get to these guys. So what do you think happens? All the main perpetrators, as soon as the police have gone up, just walked out. So all the guys who had done all the damage were like, and you could see them, oh, get out, get out, quick, quick. And they've all gone. Everyone that was causing trouble left. So the police get there and go, well, what was all the fuss about? 
which is when they did their little cordon of steel sort of thing to try and keep the peace, which it wasn't completely the wrong place anyway, for fuck's sake. But the police had been there from like five o'clock, from what I'm hearing, even before that. And you're a bit like, well, if ever you were there to supervise people, it would have been for the Johnny Garton fight. That was when you needed to be there and be visible and you weren't there, you failed. Your crowd control policy is bullshit. When did you think it was going to bloody kick off? Well, Anthony Yard, I don't think so. So, if I'm in charge of that lot, I'd say, just let them fight out. Leave bodies on the floor. If dickheads want to fight dickheads, fine. Like, go ahead and do that. We'll come in and clear up after. I'm up for that. But here's, no, but here's the thing. People are going to blame Frank Warren for this. And I think it's unfair because there were enough people in that building to have kept order. There were enough people recruited to have kept order. They didn't. If I'm Frank... I'm angry at them because... Maybe he only paid them from half nine. (laughs) (laughs) So, so essentially it was just, it was, it was mayhem. And I know there were a few women there as well. So a lot of people got hurt needlessly and there were kids there. People forget there were kids, you know, to the point where the police had to bring the travelers out. It was, it was shambolic. They shut the bar down. So no more free drinks. Disgusting. I know. So all they were serving was water. So now at this point, the atmosphere is dead, right? The atmosphere is dead in the venue. It's horrible and it's toxic. So most people aren't even bothering watching the boxing at this point, which is a shame because I think the Garten-Corcoran fight, when people talk about that being fight of the year, I can understand it. But no, in terms of that, the, the violence that kicked off, it was bad. And I'm going to benchmark it against the last time I was there when it kicked off, which was Groves Eubank. And Groves Eubank felt like handbags. Like the bit we were at, it just felt like handbags and that you could generally cope. This felt sinister because it looked like there were people who could actually fight getting involved in a fight. And that was worrying. The problem I see with with that sort of, um, that happening again, it's like a a feedback loop. In the end, people know that there's a place to go. Like it's almost like like football was in the 80s, right? It's what Terry said before on here. Football grounds are now corporate environments with CCTV. The Brentwood Centre is not a corporate environment <laughs> yeah. with CCTV. Yeah. <clears throat> you can fill your boots if you want to oh, go down. All of you lot are getting prosecuted. Mate, <laughs> how stupid do you think we are? And uh, when <laughs> are I say the Brentwood coming? Centre, I don't just mean the Brentwood Centre. I mean any place yeah, that yeah, hosts yeah. boxing. And, uh, you, so the, you, the people know. They know they, it's, it's, they're anonymous. But, I mean... I've seen Johnny Garton fight from ringside four, five, six times in his career and he always has 200 plus Millwall fans with him. Normally at York Hall, up in the balconies and they make a quality noise. I've never once seen any trouble there. And I've seen Nathan Gorman fight before and he has however many and Gary Corcoran and various people. I, I don't think you should necessarily say either side are guilty of anything. It's just that sounds like a terrible environment to put both sides in. Yeah, you had two groups of people who don't know how to back down. So it was only ever going to end one way once the trash talking started. Well, I, I guess that's what they both signed up for as, as groups. Because, look, I've seen Johnny Garton box at the, the Coronet. And it was brilliant. Maybe that's because it's a southeast London venue, but the atmosphere was brilliant. Like, you know, they came, they did the football thing and went. But these are the same people that buy Ted Cheeseman tickets. They don't kick off there. These are the same people that used to buy Charlie Wynn tickets. I mean, hopefully he recovers soon. But they buy tickets off a lot of guys from Southeast London. You know, 
as Archie Sharp as well. He's he's big in the Millwall circles. And it doesn't kick off. I think this was just one of those where the security <laughs> didn't have it under control. It should have been dealt with immediately. You lot sit down, stop singing, or we're going to have to ask you to leave immediately. The minute you let them build up that momentum and that energy, yeah. you lost it. You were never going to bring that in because by that point, the numbers had swelled to such an extent that you were outnumbered on either side. But the actual boxing... Yeah, well, cool. Exactly. Took the words so, out of my mouth. So I'm going to start with obviously I'm going to start with Uma Sadiq versus Zach Shelley because that was the fight I had most emotional investment in. I think I talked about this fight when it was announced, and I said it's a good fight, and it's a fight that you can't call one way or the other because they were around the same level as amateurs. I think this is what I said before. They're on the same level as amateurs, so it was always going to be nip and tuck. Here's what I will say. I thought Zach Chelly boxed at 100% of his capability and deservedly won that fight. I don't think Umar boxed at 100% of his capability. So it's the question going forward is how do you get Umar to execute at 100%? Now, I've, I've heard things behind the scenes that say Umar didn't get a chance to warm up. And if you, I think if you go back and watch the footage, you can see he's got no sweat on him. And people say, why is that important? Here's why it's important. So there's two reasons. One, you want to burn up your, your sitting glycogen supplies. So, you know, in boxing, they talk about the second wind. And it's when your body switches from burning one type of fuel to another. That's when people tend to struggle. So you want to get to a point where your body's already efficient at burning <coughs> a, a longer range fuel than you'd have, say, if you're sprinting for 10 seconds. So you need that warm-up. The warm-up's important. But are you conversely saying Zach Chelly did get a chance to warm-up? Um, well, because we you've got to assume no, no, they're no, both no, in the same no, boat. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I'll explain <laughs> what I mean. There was a traffic incident that meant Brian O'Shaughnessy apparently didn't get there till five minutes before. Now, I can go in and wrap Umar's hands, but I haven't been in camp with Umar. Do you see what I mean? So you've got Martin Bowers wrapping his hands and he'll do a fantastic job, undoubtedly. Or Eddie Musket could do it. All these old school guys can wrap your hands, but they can't talk to you about what the plan was, what you've been through. You don't have that... that and look, for me, that's, that's the most important time. Like when you're wrapping hands or when, you, when you're... It's the focus. Up. Yeah, it's, it's when you bond as two people. It's when I understand what you're about to do and I also understand as a trainer, I've got your safety in my hands and then you also understand, look, we've done all of this, we're ready. So Uma didn't get that opportunity. It's, it's unfortunate. Those types of things probably shouldn't happen. But, I, but Zach, in contrast, did. You know, his, you know, so it's an organizational thing, and it's not to make an excuse. It's just to say that's why the first two rounds looked lethargic, from what I was being told. And, and based on that, I still think, I, look, if it had been Uma giving his best shot, and Zach was just better. You'd hear me say, actually, do you know what? Zach Shelley's just a better fighter. But there are things I spoke to Uma after the fight yesterday, and I said to him, never ever lose the first two rounds again in your life. If you've got someone that wants to dip and throw that big right hand, just leave your left arm over his neck, push him down, spin him around, make it uncomfortable for him to be in that position, and then the ref can police it. <clears throat> and so... There are a lot of things that probably didn't happen in, in those first two rounds, but the first two rounds set the tone for the fight. You, you win the first two rounds, you only need to win two of the next four for it to be a draw. So the pressure comes off your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, I was comfortable with Zach winning it. I didn't win him by two. Um, <laughs> I find it... 
I don't know, watching Umar. Um, so how can I describe it? Because his stance, he, he almost tapes that right hand to his cheek, doesn't he? Which is presumably a deterrent against the left hook that yeah. Shelley was throwing. And then the left hand, he holds really, really tight. Like really yeah. tight in front of him, which I get it, it narrows down. Presumably, again, that's the deterrent to stop the big right hand coming through because it narrows the line of attack because everything is covered around the face. Yeah. So everything's now got to come around the side. But it almost looked as if, and the only way I could describe it is if he'd stood there and then a spider had woven a web around him so tightly that he was then like stuck with his hands in this position. And he didn't lever that left hand enough for me. So, like, what, he looked rigid and stuttered? I as thought he looked, to a, he looked a little bit... Um, and again, maybe this is down to what Terry was saying earlier about O'Shaughnessy not being there in time or whatever. But he just, to me, he looked a little bit stiff, rigid at the beginning. Like not relaxed? Yeah. yeah. Um, not, not warmed up? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I didn't know that until you said that there, Terry. But that was just my impression of Umar. Is that he was so rigid and so tight to that stance that he'd got it was almost like a kickboxer's stance at times as well see because I, I watched it and my frustration bore out from the fact that there was a point it might have been round four where you could see Zach was tired you could see that he, he had exerted so much in the first three rounds and he was tired which and is what had happened in one of his previous yes. fights. Yes, and Umar let him off. And I was like, that's the point in the fight. When you can see he's taking the steps back and he's circling, that's not his normal style. He can't box out of that position. Put it on him. Just short chopping combinations. Just have him defending, have him working. Here's an example. Look, all Zach was going to do for that fight, let's be honest, was dip out the way of the jab, boom, the right hand over the top. That was what he was always going to do. And he showed that in the first two rounds. Dave Allen showed you how you deal with someone who's right-hand happy. When he fought Nick Webb, and he didn't care, he just shelled up. He put the shell up, so he beat, he, I mean, he put that left arm up, had the right arm across, almost like a strut brace. And it was like, I will take these all day until you get tired. And sometimes you need those little clever tricks. We don't really coach them in this country, but it's that ability to, even when you don't feel on form, you can exert some kind of control over your opponent. And that was what was missing in the first two and a half rounds from Uma was that control and that elimination of the threat of the right hand. And then say, have you got any other shots, Zach? But I thought with Uma, he he gets in too close. It looks like on the TV, it looks like he gets in too close to where Zach is for those long arms that he's got. And it reminded me an awful lot. And I know they come out of the same camp of Lawrence Acoli's first few fights. And I almost thought Lawrence looked like a T-Rex in how he was, in that his, his arms were so folded over upon themselves that it was like a little T-Rex arms. And it wasn't taking advantage of the size difference between the two. But you can do that. Look, look, Hooker did it against Flanagan, where Hooker was significantly taller than Flanagan and could bully him about on the inside. Jared Hurd does it. Like, Hurd just towers over people at light middle and he can do it. But if you look at what those guys do, they're very clever with... If they miss a jab, they don't pull their arm back. They just drop it on you. That means you can't turn. You can't rotate into whatever shot you wanted to throw. That buys them a second to pivot off, start again. And that's what you've got to do sometimes. Just leave your arm there and go, if the ref complains, fine. But until he does, I'm going to leave my arm here. Right. Or, Sorry, go on. No, go on. Or if you find yourself in close, just hold him. Hold him, bully him, 
just a bit of needle in there, get under his skin, then go again. Let's give full credit to Zach Chelly though. Because well, that's yeah, my point. Yeah, yeah. how much? Because we're very focused on Umar. Uh, Only for, na- for narrative reasons, because obviously we've talked a lot about him. And he's him. been on the pod and whatnot. Yeah, but and, like, we've, and we've ha- also talked about Zach, though, don't forget. First, first part to talk about Zach Chelly. Thank you. But yeah, full <laughs> credit to Zach, because he's a 20-year-old lad. He's a kid. Listen. 20 years old. No, but let me, look, I'll just tell you a Zach Chelly story, so you understand how this guy's come up. And I don't care if this gets back to his dad or whatever, who cares. His dad used to pay kids in the park money. He's like, here, have a pair of boxing gloves. I want you to beat up my son. And then it was Zach's job to make sure he didn't get beaten up. It was only three and the lads were 17. <laughs> you he, laugh, he, but that, that's probably true. He crawled away so quickly. No, <laughs> no. So, so Zach has always been put in tough. And like, I know people speak badly of him. Zach, Zach's an okay kid. I think in another environment, he'd be very likable. But you look at what happened. His dad was secretly filming the sparring with George Groves. Now the McGuigans don't fuck with him. Same thing with the DeGale stuff. They don't mess with him. He's, he's alienated a lot of powerful people in boxing through that sort of behavior. So it's going to be very hard to push him forward. And also, more importantly, where do you put him next? Because now you're Southern area, right? You can't go backwards. You could rematch Uma. Would it be any different? It could be. I think it could be, but you know, you're kind of at that Southern area level. Now you want to kick on, do what you stick him in with Jermaine smile. I don't think that would be a good night for him. So I don't know. I think at this point, Zach kind of needs to hone his style and come up with different tricks. And I'll touch on it with Nathan Gorman as well, because there'll be people who can figure out what it is you're doing. And at that point it's going to get very hard. And as for Umar, look, go back to the drawing board, Look at the things you could have tweaked. Make everything ten percent better. Come back and let's see what's there. How, I enjoy. Sorry, go on. Well, my question was how difficult. Um, in I suppose it's more for Terry, but you would have seen it as well. How difficult is it for a boxer to take their first loss? It depends. Depends on your mindset. If if you can be very phlegmatic about it and go better now than never. We said it about Jake Ball, right? Better to take the loss now. Better take the loss now, revisit everything, find all the things that weren't going well and rebuild them. Because if you look at Umar, look at the last two and a half years. It was just constant steps up. It was up, up, up. It was all positive. There hadn't been many setbacks in a boxing sense. So this is like the first one. And he should be resilient enough to go, no, make a few tweaks, get better, better, get stronger. I'd like him to come in bigger, actually. I don't think he comes in big enough. Like, if you're going to be six foot three in that sort of size, I want you walking into the ring and people are like, he looks like a cruiserweight. Everyone will cite that Bernard Hopkins example, whereby he lost in his debut and then went on to dominate divisions. But for every Bernard Hopkins, there's a thousand other lads that lost their debuts and you never heard from again or never went on to achieve what they potentially could have. Um, so you've got hope with Umar. And, you know, we know Umar. Terry knows him better than we do, but he's a lovely bloke. He's down to earth. He's sound. And he's very, very mature. I think he will be fine from what I've seen of him. My biggest hope is that Warren doesn't like use this as a culling process to say, keep the winner, discard the loser. Yeah. Um, you'd hope that doesn't happen. You'd hope he'd stick by him, maybe put on a rematch in 12 months' time for something significant if they can both go away and, and build. But you have to focus now on Zach for, for the time being and say, look, the lad, fantastic win. Um, 
but the, the real bonus out of all of this is that hopefully it incites other people that are early in their career to go out and fight other prospects and not just make an early career out of fighting journeymen all the way through. And I know that's difficult. Um, not everyone's in the same scenario. Not everyone's promoted by Frank Warren or Eddie Hearn. But look, as boxing fans, boxing fans were excited about that last night. Boxing fans were excited to see two young um, lads early on in their career taking that risk. And so to lose it is insignificant to boxing fans. You can fight five times. As long as they're all good fights, if you lost five times, boxing fans wouldn't give a shit. Like, they just enjoy watching good fights and with a good reason to watch them. And last night, that was a good reason to watch exactly. them. Exactly. It was a good fight. And I, I just hope that both lads are able to progress in whichever routes they take and meet again down the line somewhere. Because you had two lads, and I think I said this when it was announced. Box on the same afternoon in the ABA. Zach Boxer 75 went through. Umar Boxer 81 looked a bit off colour against Dignam and didn't go through. Was it Dignam? I think it was. So these guys have been in and around each other a long time. And then they're not they're not alien to each other, which is good. And, and that's what you need to see more of. And in the I've, same way, Kurt Garvey, Andre Sterling I was, on that British Warriors card. I was just going to touch on that. So I was with Andre yesterday. So we watched the yard fight with Andre. Obviously, he's an alumni of our club. And we're talking about the Kurt Garvey fight. And he's excited about it, but we're all excited. So listen, shout out to British Warriors because I know people go, oh, who are British Warriors really? That fight, 2012 ABA champion, Kurt Garvey versus 2015 ABA quarterfinal, I think Andre was, or maybe it was 2016. But I mean, you've got two blue chip amateurs who were at sister clubs because really Fitzroy Lodge and Earlsfield are like sister clubs. These guys know each other well. There's no mystery here. They're about at the same time. Kirk was a bit further advanced. They're around at the same time. They're the same weight. Andre, compact, muscular, strong, skillful, tough. Kirk, the ultimate technician, long, rangy. He's strong as well. You know, but he's got that, that kind of tall look, that narrow shoulders like a snake in that. He's got, I mean, he's got all of these contrasts for that British Warriors show. If you really want to watch what happens when two guys that can really, really box go at it, get a ticket for that show because but, that's going to be a hell of an event. Again, that's a fight that doesn't have to go ahead. Andre Sterling will want that fight, will love that fight, will push himself on for that fight. Kirk Garvey could easily have dropped that title. Eas in the same way Taylor Jones could easily have dropped his middleweight title rather than facing Linus Shadofia. Full credit to both Kirk and Taylor Jones. For keeping hold of that title and saying I'll take a significant defence, and if I if I win that significant defence, then I'll probably ditch it and I'll move on to something else. But in the meantime, I've got the belt. I'll take a fight that means something. In the same way Johnny Garton was talking last night. I don't know if you heard the ringside interview. No. We'll come on to his fight in a bit, but he was talking. They had Al Smith, his trainer, um, there in the Charlie Wynn T-shirt on camera. Um, nice gesture, by the way. It was. And, uh, you know, they're asking him, do you want to fight a Josh Kelly? Do you want to fight a whatever? Um, and Johnny Garton was saying, look, I'll fight anyone. And do not doubt Johnny Garton would fight anyone. <laughs> From Deontay Wilder to Josh Kelly, Johnny will fight anyone. But he was saying, you know, they've got all these lads that, like, get the exposure and that. I kind of want to give somebody else a chance, somebody that doesn't get the headlines. I want to give somebody an opportunity to come and fight me. Um, I've got a name for him. I'll put it out there now. Echo Esserman. Won the English welterweight title yesterday up in Nottingham. Um, beat Charles, yeah, beat Ted Cheeseman. Was it the 2015 ABAs? 
kids class, man. If anyone's from the Midlands or Nottingham, you all know who Echo Esselman is. XGB disappeared off the radar completely. I think he's, he might even have a win in the amateurs over Josh Kelly. Like the guy's blue chip, but no one knows who he is. Him against Johnny Garton's a hell of a fight. Yeah, Chris Congo would be one that would be a hell of a fight. Ah, uh, he's ahead of. This is what I mean. Esselman's miles ahead of Chris Congo. Like in terms of, because. Chris Congo is basically the guy that replaced Echo Esselman in the GB setup. If that makes sense. Yep. So I'd like I'd, he's got the English belt. Let him have a crack. Yeah, but I say it was it was just interesting listening to Johnny because Johnny's been through that small hall build up. I was there when he won the English title against Ryan Fields. Fucking iced the lad with a left hook. The left Fields wiped out, wiped out on the uh, on the canvas. Yeah. I've seen Johnny progress through. I've seen him win fights. And and get to that point where he's got the English title and then he's he's got to defend it. He defended it against Tyler Goodjohn in an incredible fight. Um, and then kind of stalled because Bradley Skeet had the British title as a, a gym mate. He couldn't fight him. Um, and so his career kind of stalled for a little bit. So I, I know the troubles that Johnny's been through to get to that British title level. And I know what that would have meant to him. And I know Johnny outside the ring, just the loveliest bloke, one of the loveliest men you'll ever meet. He was a full-time um, garage mechanic before the, he could kind of cement himself as a boxer. Um, his missus is an Irish dancing teacher, which resonates with me quite a lot. Um, and so I have a lot of time for Johnny Garton. Because you're a, a person, former champion. Because I'm a former... Well, I'm current Irish dancer. Oh, I've never been beaten. Uh, sorry. In a way. Forgive me. No, I said to so there's lots of stuff about Johnny Garton. He's been through all those, all those things coming up through the professional scene. And so I think he kind of, when you put that name to him, Josh Kelly, he's like, yeah, but other people have been through what I've been through and I want to give them the opportunity to fight for it. I just thought that's it's a brilliant touch. And I know some people might interpret that as like, you're ducking Josh Kelly or whatever, but I don't think it was because Johnny would fight anybody any day of the week. They'll give him Conor Ben. As a Frank fight, I think hopefully, hopefully Frank will invest a little bit into Johnny. Just now. wait. That's what you'll hear. You'll hear Hearn go, why can't we have Johnny Garton versus Conor Ben for the British? Please, please. I would love to see that. It would wipe Conor Ben out. It they would. both sat there thoughtfully. Um, so the actual fight, Garton, Cochrane. <sighs> what? So you had... <laughs> I, I, have Another, to give this, I, I have to give this to Martin because I was watching a completely different <laughs> Another thought-provoking sigh. Yeah. Um, so he had two rounds of... And Johnny Garton's done this again through his career. Two rounds of a nice bit of boxing. Jabbing, moving, going both ways, making Corcoran miss. But Corcoran just comes forward. Comes, It's like the Terminator just keeps coming forward at you. And the harder Johnny Garton hit him, the more Corcoran would walk forward. Walk forward. And then in the second or third round, um, clash of heads and the eye gets split of Garton. And whoever's seen a Johnny Garton fight knows this lad bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. Um, and so he's getting some blood run down now. And so it kind of, it's almost as if that blood like sparked something inside of him of like the animal instinct. Let's just fucking go to war now. Like dismiss the boxing Let's just have a toe-to-toe tear-up. And they did. And it was just so violent, so horrible, so beautiful to watch. Like, ah, oh, and so then... So violent, so horrible, so beautiful to watch. It was. And then Garton <laughs> gets cut across his forehead. 
And that just creates a mask of blood down his face. And I don't even know how he can see. This is only in like the fourth round, I think it was. I don't even know how he can see. The blood is that bad pouring down his face. It like, must have been pouring into his eyes. But he wasn't... Normally you see boxers trying to wipe it away with a glove. But he wasn't even doing that. It was like he was so focused on winning last night that... Okay, so... Sorry, go on. I was just about to say, what are the rules here? Because it sounds like it's a bloodbath and there's blood spray like some sort of Quentin Tarantino film. You'll find a photo of Gary Corcoran. Gary Corcoran enters the ring in white shorts. He leaves in pink. Why is that allowed to happen? Why? It's just clash of heads. Like Because Corcoran was coming in, because Johnny Garton has got an acid left hook. Like he can, I say that's a fight. When When he fought Ryan Fields, that is what he finished Ryan Fields with. That left hook, and it was landing at will against Gary Corcoran. So Gary Corcoran, rather than defending against it, was just coming in with his head low and pushing in. Um, And he's such a tough bastard, Gary Corcoran. Such a hard... As is Johnny Garton. And so this clash of heads again. And so it's it's an accidental one, but he gets a warning for it, Corcoran. Um, But it's down to the referee's discretion, who takes it to the doctor, and the doctor's discretion at that point. Um, Is it dangerous to him? (sighs) Nah, he's not going to lose enough blood, I don't think. That it's, it just looks okay. oh. just looks horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, no, you've got to be happy for... You should be happy for Johnny, man. Because let's go back two years. If I if we'd been starting this podcast going, Johnny Garton would be British champion, you'd have been like, nah. And you would have listed about eight names who you thought would have been British champion instead of Johnny Garton. And you're looking at that now just going, boxing's a hell of a sport sometimes. Yeah. And just when I, I, I caught up with Eddie Lamb afterwards, and like, if you ever see Eddie, Eddie in the corners, like he's he's calm, he's icy, he he he's focused. Like he always looks like a scientist in the corner. Yeah, well, with that, the big rimmed glasses and the well parted hair. Yeah, that's a, and that's that's the impression. But he came out, and it was me, and my mate Simon, and Mark Rygate, and he was just buzzing. Because he knew, and he goes, he, he goes, he goes, tell, let's be honest, no one ever thought Garten would do that. I was like, hell fuck. Nope, not allowed to swear. <laughs> you just have. Oh. <laughs> do you know what, do you know, he's like, hell no. Johnny Garten, British champion, no, no chance in hell. And it's like, look what just happened out there. I'm like, I just said to him, God is great. And I know that means a lot because if you look, like the iBox gym has taken a few L's recently, like in in and out the gym. It's been quite a hard time for them. You know, the Charlie Wynn things hit all of those guys hard. So to have the day they had yesterday, you know, just glad they can go home smiling. That was important. And what was lovely to see, I mentioned earlier about Bradley Skeet having that title, won it outright, and he's recently vacated it. Bradley Skeet is the first one in that ring. With all the blood pissing off of Garton still, Bradley Skeet gets him up on his shoulders. Picks him up. It's like, ah, that's just lovely. Like, everything. Every, that meant everything to both yeah, of them. Lovely seeing Brad as well. Like, this is, so, I, I know we, I know we tend to dump on Warren shows, but, if you're a boxing person and you're a boxing fan and you're in you're involved in boxing, Warren shows like a reunion of people involved. Like because you get to see guys like Brad and so forth. So there's a few others that I bumped into. I'll touch on later on, but you get that. And you, I mean, you get time to talk properly to Brad. Like you don't really get that at matchroom shows where you've got time to catch up and do that sort of thing. Um, Anthony Yard. For against, and I don't, I can't. Sit, Sekera, Peter Satera. 
But you did it all oh, for God. the glory of love. Peter Cetera. Are we finished on the yard fight now? Good. Um, look, I'm, I, I watched it. <laughs> oh, sounds good then. Is this is Anthony Yard's opponent a bum? So Anthony Yard faces an interesting dilemma at the moment. When you watch him fight, the pace he's boxing at right now, he can't hang with the top level talents. Like they're not going to let him box at that pace. Your Hosea Burton's and whatnot. And I know he's got the he's got. Listen, the hand speed's real, the reflexes are real, but you can't box at that pace against guys like. Jose Burton, Frank Bullione, Callum Johnson. You can't even do that against Joshua Boatsy. They're going to take you into the trenches early. That's what everyone's looking for someone to do to Anthony Yard. So it's on him now to say, how serious are you about excelling? Someone told me, and actually I'm going to turn it around. Someone tell me a man who sparred Anthony Yard in the last six months. Don't care where, <coughs> Don't Peacock, fucking... West Ham, wherever. Find me someone who has sparred Anthony Yard in the last six months. We couldn't think of anybody. No, apparently, no one. He hasn't sparred anybody. As in nobody, not just nobody you'd know of, but nobody, like no sparring. Maybe some keep fitters at best, but no, no one with the British board license has sparred Anthony Yard. From what we're hearing, wow. If anyone can find someone in the last six months, even the last year, please tell us. That's what worries me. And it's not me taking shots at Anthony Yard. It's me saying, I can tell you for certain Joshua Boatsy is going to war in his sparring. I don't mean going to war, in a, he's, but he's going in there with people who are better than him. And he's testing himself. And he doesn't mind coming up short because he knows that's how you grow. He's doing that. Like Frank Bullione, we know he's he's in the ring with Olympians and elite level guys. It's not a secret who Frank's been sparring. You know, he's been in with... Oh, yeah, he put the picture in. Yeah, he's been in with De Gale. He's been sparring Waddy Camacho. He's a cruiserweight. Yeah. Like, he's been pushing himself for this Meng fight that he's got in Monaco. That's what elite level guys do. And like I said, if you can tell me who Anthony Yard sparred, bear in mind, in his Peacock gym at the same time, is Andre Sterling, 175 pounds. Dan Aziz, 175 pounds. They're there, ready, willing, whenever to do that work. What was telling last night with that um, yard fight? And there's not, you know, I've made my views clear on yard before, so I'm not going to go into it in massive detail. But I feel like there are people out there at the moment who have more passion and desire to move themselves on than perhaps Anthony does and that's why I would give my attention to other people I'm not saying he's not the real deal he might be but until any of us get to see it that said Joshua Boazzi he's not fighting you know he's fighting Yard's leftovers but at an earlier point in his career than Yard did it so it's not to say everybody else is doing really really well and Yard's delaying it because that's not the case um but look that's Sakara last night he was not bullying, but he was causing a lot of issues for Yard on the ropes. He, he was a small man. You looked at it. Honestly, if you'd have turned that on, like Andy, if you'd have turned it on last night, you would have thought it was a, a middleweight versus a light heavyweight. They would they looked like two completely different weight categories. Yard is a huge man for the weight, like so well built. 
the BT Sport commentators said, "What was the fucking commentary?" Oh, here we go. Um, this should be good. Said there is something like there is not a light heavyweight in world boxing with a better physique than Anthony Yard. It's like, what well, does that put you five points up at the start of the fight <laughs> based upon your physique? The wow. other thing, five points for being sexy. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing they came out with was um, because this was being shown on ESPN Plus last night. They said something about. Um, Americans already know who Anthony Yard is because he's been making shockwaves on both sides of the Atlantic. Nice. Like, like that. I like that. You know, that, that's... A oh, cla- yeah. No, no, but that's a classic Eddie Hearn tactic. Just say it and dare someone to challenge you. Yeah. No, absolutely. But you sat at home, like, literally laughing at the TV at that point because it was shambolic. But this the venue thing- was empty for the Yard fight. It was. It, like- it looked so bad on TV because, as you were saying, that hard camera shot, there were at most fifty percent of people left in there. Ah, uh, probably even less. Like, look, once once the Millwall lot went, once the travellers went, like a lot of people, it took the energy out. So, but that that fights happened. Last trains to catch, you know, a classic get, Warren yeah. move of putting a four rounder on before the main event that didn't yeah. need to be shown on TV. You could have put that on after. Yeah, but so, whatever. So, we're not going to show a main event at half ten. We're going to show it at nearer eleven because we've yeah. got these lads that are like, oh, yeah, so, "Why are you putting that on? Fuck's sake!" Like, so that's, uh, that, that, that was one of the challenges of just you know, I, I, why didn't you just pick your call for God's sake? Yeah, you know that that card at your call would have made perfect sense. But yeah, Sakira, when he had Yard on the ropes, <laughs> Yard's got a very, very nice defense of any left hand that comes in. He's got that lovely little paw where he pulls up the right hand. Lovely, catches every shot off of it. But <laughs> he fights with the left hand, like tucked away almost. And he was catching so many clean off his chin against this little, I say, looked like a middleweight, frankly. Um, but when he was on the ropes... And he didn't try and turn him. And whether this was a ploy, whether this was like, just go through the experience, whether Tundi Ajaya told him, you know, I'd be surprised because there's always a risk you get caught and it's over. Um, but he just seemed to struggle with turning Sakira when he was on the ropes and getting out of that situation. He struggled with blocking anything off the right hand of Sakira and it was getting through clean. Any good light heavyweight that's catching him flush like that, it's going to cause him all sorts of problems, I'm sure. Unless he's got an iron chin, but we don't know that because he's fought Argentinian champions and such like. It's a very tough country. I've no doubt. I've no doubt it is. Very tough fighters. Yeah. Like, like Maidana could do like heavyweight now. <laughs> no, he couldn't. Work a heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> he's loving life, isn't he? I love seeing any vote of Maidana because it's always... He's still cashing in on the Floyd money. So you'll just see him like sat on a balcony with like just a bottle of whiskey and a cigar and weighing about 250 pounds. This was a welterweight in his prime. (laughs) He was like causing Floyd problems, Khan problems. And now he's just, he sat looking like me on a balcony. (laughs) Just just causing Johnny Walker problems. (laughs) He's funding them. But no, I think... I think we need to stop with the bullshit yard fights. He needs to give us names that we recognise, yes. names that we know. Terry, you're on board, finally. <laughs> okay, before we wrap up the Warren card and uh, give it some sort of overview before we close it out, I wanted to ask you, after a bit more focus on Umar Sadiq, given the fact that he's been on this pod before and we have some sort of connection with him, um, I wanted to ask you, if you go, if you go back to... 
most legendary boxers through their histories, at some stage they've come through a real test of some sort. Um, so my question is, should Umar have found a way to win in spite of the issues that he faced? So I don't think Chelly, and this is going to sound strange, I don't think Chelly was a test because I don't think, I think if they fought a hundred times, it would be 50-50, 49-51 either way. I, 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 they're about the same ballpark in terms of ability and what they've done. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to either side. I'm just, just calling it like I see it. If you look at the problems that Zach was causing, what Zach was good at was he would dip under the jab, but he turned his left shoulder in. So he was basically running a straight line from right shoulder through his neck to his left shoulder, straight into Umar's mid chest. And as he came up, he just boomed the right hand. Uh, and Umar was always there to take it. My frustration, and I watched the first two rounds, and my frustration was Umar was moving left to attack. Zach wanted to throw the right hand. So it made Zach's life so much easier. Had Umar just circled right, Zach keeps his left hand low. You can pop the jab over his left shoulder. And if the jab misses, the right hand won't. He could have just circled right for the whole fight. Zach wouldn't have landed that right hand. He wouldn't have gone knocked down and would have probably been looking at a draw or an Umar win. So there are small things that could have happened in that fight, if I'm being honest with you. But I don't want to do Zach Chelly a disservice. Zach Chelly was an ABA quarterfinalist. He was unlucky. I mean, he was unlucky not to progress all the way in Liverpool in 2016. He was unlucky. Who won it that year? It was Ben Whitaker that won it that year. And Ben Whitaker, I've said it before in this podcast, is a special, special talent. Can I say how surprised I was going into that last round? You wouldn't have heard it, I'm sure. Brian O'Shaughnessy was saying to Umar, basically, you've got this. You've got this fight. Like, just get through the next three minutes and it's fine. Wow. Which, I like, I, when I heard it... miscalculation if you're Umar coming it, through the back of it. It was a misinterpretation of the fight for me, like, and many others that were yeah. observing it. The, I, I think in round seven, you had to say to Umar, listen, well, he, as a trainer, you're like, round seven, I need him to drop Zach Chelly. But I can't tell him you need to drop Zach Chelly. That creates panic. So I say, look, what I need you to do, step back, right uppercut, left hook. Because I know that's the thing he's susceptible to. You drop him with that, now I'm like, right, I got what I wanted. You now have more confidence, fantastic. The last round, though, it was great yeah. fun, wasn't it? The yeah. last round, Umar fucking unloads on him, unloads and on him. And Chelly found that left and hook. And then Chelly, with like 20, 30 seconds left in the round, finds a left hook and then just bombards Umar on the ropes. But by this point, I thought Zach was done. He was going. He was going to drop at one point. But just from somewhere finds that second win. Those two gave us a fight where we're like, listen, and this is to all promoters, whoever listens to this, stop putting your guys in with suckers. That fight did more for both of those guys yep. than fighting 10 Lithuanians. Because they they went to those dark places. What am I really capable of? You, know, you go through that journey of self-doubt and you say, can I come out the other side? That was fantastic for both guys. But if we're signing off on the card, just to say, because we give Warren a lot of grief sometimes... That was a good fight. Johnny Gart and Gary Corkham was a good fight. Right. Even the Joe Mullinder versus Gary Caps, was it? Yeah. That was a fun fight. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know what Mullinder's going to do? Oh, yeah. Sit on your chest and wear S you down. Smoking Joe! That's what Joe Smoking Mullinder's Joe. about. 
the Anthony Yard fight was a farce. The Gorman fight. Let's can we just touch on that quickly? <laughs> he damaged his hand. Which hand? Right hand. First what? round. Well, because he's thrown those wild uppercuts. Like, if, if that's going to be Nathan Gorman's stock in trade going forward, his right uppercut, left hook, left hook, right uppercut, I worry for him because it's going to get figured out. Sokolovsky figured it out. And, like, Sokolovsky's been... I mean, he's not the kind of guy you want figuring out your tactics. And, look, I, call, I like Ricky Hatton as a boxer. No one's really... Had, he hasn't got me convinced as a trainer, right? Uh, Lucas Brown's career turned into mincemeat under Ricky Hatton. I hope that doesn't happen to Nathan. Okay, so wrapping up the Warren card, have you got anything more yeah, to say? Yeah, man, look, got to spend some quality time. Like I said, Dan Aziz, like, I love watching Dan Aziz pose for pictures with fans now because I remember a year ago that wasn't happening. Now people know who Dan Aziz is and they want to get in those pictures. I'm really happy for him. Lovely to see O'Hara Davis. So got to have a good conversation with O'Hara. Um, fantastic young man. You know, we just spoke. And as I say to Ahara every time, man, you got to be yourself, man. You're the guy that likes to knock people out. You can't, you can't perform for the fans because the fans don't know what they want half the time. you got to be yourself. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, tweak the formula. We had a really, really good chat with Ahara. He's just a great guy, man. That's good energy around him. You know, so positive. You know, uh, Lawrence was there. Ah, man, good guy as well. Hopefully he'll be at the show next week. Um, Isn't but, he going out to Big Bear? Going to Spar Fury, I believe. Why? That's what I've heard. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I might what? be wrong, but that's what I've heard. Why are you so disheartened by that? It's good for Lawrence. I don't know what that does for Fury. Because Lawrence doesn't throw wilder type shots. And Lawrence isn't a guy that can replicate styles. Lawrence does what he does. If you want someone, you need someone that can replicate styles, man. You get a more skilled amateur. I could have sent a couple of guys down. So who, I'll who, talk to who would be, just on a slight digression, who would be better for Fury to fight if he's trying to replicate Wilder's shot? I don't think you can. So what you're, what you're going there for is for guys that can drop bombs from unusual angles. Because you've you got to be able to... to to read the shots you can't see. That's what Wilder takes you out with. I think Lawrence is quite conventional. You see, if you see what I mean? He's just conventional in how he attacks. That's what we're going to help Fury. But it's great experience for Lawrence if he gets it. So I've got a lot of time for that. Uh, who else was out and about? Oh, Eddie Lamb was there. Bradley Skeet was talked about him. As I said, Andre Showtime Sterling. Honestly, November 3rd, go and watch him do his thing. He's, he's absolute class. Um... Who else did I talk to, man? I can't even remember. Listen, Sam O'Reilly, man. I had a good chat with Sam as well. Good to see Sam. Sam's put on a lot of weight, though. <laughs> fucking hell. Cool like, the guy like, out. Like, like, cool like the that, guy out straight to his fucking that, face. That holiday to Spain, man. Like, like, he hasn't been the same since. Listen, Sam's got to get back on the road work, man. Because, you know, when, I mean, when Sam was down <laughs> near about 16 and a half stone, I mean, that was his peak fighting weight, man. He needs to get on it. He's turned into Richie Gray. Those guys have just got fat bastards, become fat bastards together, man. <laughs> wow. But shouts out to both of them. I love them all, but come on, Sam, man. We need just to get just has a six really packs. strange way of showing No, Nah, him. nah. Look, Sam, we'll get on it together, man. We'll get our six packs back, man. I mean, we'll do it. Back? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I once had one, man. Come on, man. Stop, stop with the player hating. <laughs> Says you! 
You just called him out for fat gloves. It's like literally two minutes of fucking ripping some blokes, and then it's like, no, don't oh, stop pop, the hate, man. Pop, pop, pop the game. <laughs> but now, good. Honestly, look, don't be disheartened about going to a Warren card. Listen, oh, sorry. Shouts out to Shaz as well. It was good to see him, man. And also, man, shouts out to the Fitzroy Lodge guys. We 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 represented. We were all there. Like we were just in little pockets. You know, we didn't even coordinate our trips. So we're just seeing people. Have a couple of them now got additional knockouts on their records? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely, man. Like they gave people a few thirty day waivers in that. So <laughs> 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 lot of guys can't come to boxing shows for thirty days. <laughs> Have to get checked over by a doctor. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up the Warren card. Uh, and it's shenanigans. Right. Beep, 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 beep. Some people get their news from the Press Association. Some get it from Reuters. I get mine from Theo News. And they have confirmed tonight that the DAZN show will feature Katie Teller versus Fuck Nose. I I'm, I'm assuming that's Guy. This was from last a woman, night. A woman from Lithuania. Um, Tommy Cole is also fighting Fuck Nose. This sounds like a hard um, gender neutral person. <laughs> Uh, Kid Galahad fights Fuck Nose. It's a new TBA. And uh, Demetrius Andrade fights not Billy Joe Saunders. <laughs> now look, here's the issue, right? <laughs> An absolute disaster of a card. If, Forget if, the zone, disaster. If the zone and Eddie are putting on what is essentially just a fucking matchroom B team over in America, I'm not getting up at God knows what fucking hour to watch that lot. I'm not getting up to watch Kid Galahad, Tommy Coyle, fucking... Yeah. Um, I mean, James Tennyson was fine, wasn't he, against Tevin Farmer? I wouldn't have minded seeing that, but I'm not that arsed. Yeah. Katie Taylor against the the crap Serrano sister. Um, I, I just don't give a fuck. Did like, you like watching the shit matchroom shows? Well, guess what? Now you can get up at 4 a.m. and watch them instead. Honestly, like... America must be sat... You know when England used to have a B team? And I think it was Chris Sutton, wasn't it? That said, like, I'm not playing. Yeah, he said, I'm not playing. That's what matchroom fighters ought to start doing. Tommy Coyle just going, I'm not getting on that plane. Here's the, here's the Unless d- he pulls down Eddie Shorts. Like- yeah, that was the highlight. <laughs> That's it, the highlight. Is it, it the same person? Is it the same person? I normally fight for Eddie. Yeah, minus the flight, obviously. What? Why? <laughs> Why? No, but, no, but here's, here's the thing. Like, go back two weeks. They had the first show in Chicago. It was horrible. You know, like Eddie criticizes Frank Warren shows. You said like, it was all right at a time. No, no, no. But but like visually, I'm not talking about. No, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Visually, it was horrible. Like the production was garbage. It was just. It was. It was sloppy. It was shambolic. It it wasn't a matchroom show we're used to. What I didn't like about it was that um, you've got a billion dollars, so we're told. When World Boxing Super Series came along, they made a product that didn't look like boxing as we knew it. They put those uplighters on. They got the lads on the stage. They blacked everything out. They did all those things and made you go, wow, this is like boxing 2.0. Whereas Eddie hasn't done that. And I just think, how hard would it have been to get a creative director in to say, here's a normal product. This is your budget, which is huge. Now make something that will make people want to tune <laughs> it's in. It's a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. What? You're, you want me to spend all of the money? Yep. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Elephants. No, but the, 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 worst, the thing that defined the October 6th show was when the guy tried to interview Arthur Baturbiev and Baturbiev was like, give me that microphone. I'll talk, right? I'll ask my own questions and I'll answer my own questions. Because <laughs> it was easier for him. That's how shambolic it was. 
you know, and they had that David Diamante, oh. Diamante, oh. who's just grating. So everything Hearn seems to have done in America is a disaster. The We discussed this when we were talking about DAZN initially. Have they spread themselves too thin? They have a formula that works in the UK and it seems to be a real team effort and they can't seem to scale it up because that looked like garbage. It's like, like the greatest showman. So is yeah. that... Is is that um, arrogance or is it just not knowing desperation, the like hubris? Yeah, it, it's it's that thing where they, they, I really think they want to float matchroom in some form or other, and they're looking for those expansion points because they they kind of saturated the UK market. Have you seen the two bits of um, new matchroom business that got announced this week? So they've launched Matchroom Italy and Matchroom Germany, which are the two marketplaces in Europe where DAZN is already established. And so they've now created... So either it's a way of... Is that a a different billion dollars? (laughs) (laughs) So either it's a way of offsetting some of the profits out of the other places and putting them through other marketplaces. I've got a billion lira. 14 quid 50. <laughs> Surely it's worth nothing now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, well, they're, they're in the euro, my friend. Um, <laughs> like to zone Italy. <laughs> Who are you going to get on there? Leonard Bundu. <laughs> Leonard Bundu. Fighting Frankie Gavin again. The rematch we've all wanted. But, look, um, but it's, it's, here's why it's messed up for a number of reasons. But let's start with... Eddie Hearn's going to try and tell us Tevin Farmer, who no American promoter wanted to bother with, is somehow a future star. No, he's not. Tevin Farmer's a hell of a boxer. He's a hell of a stylist. He's all of these great things, and he's you know a fine embodiment of Philadelphia boxing. Tevin Farmer, until he got shot, was boring as hell. You know, Demetrius Andrade, as he likes to call himself. I met him in Gleason's once, about five years ago. He's not a star. He's a guy that can ice Brian Rose. Yeah, by all means. But he's not a star. And that's why promoters don't pick him up. Hearn's going to try and con, I mean, a lot of you cornflake crunching bastards <laughs> into believing that these guys are somehow, super, don't fall for it. And yet, in the same evening, we'll do an interview saying, like, telling Deontay Wilder to fuck off. Like, literally telling him to fuck off. Who? Hearn did. Oh, right. um, when was this? Last night, it was uh, an interview that Coogan did with him where it was like, I think Wilder's come out and said he wanted 50-50 or 60-40, whatever the split was. Can't remember. Um, and it just really riled Hearn, saying like, just stop wasting my time. You fucking wasted my... Like, proper going in on him. Like, wasting my time. All we do is chase, chase, chase. Um, Does and- Hearn do coke? Is that what it is? Like <laughs> it's like the cocaine talking, taking the calor approach, and then just started saying like, "Oh, it went back to that old thing of if, if uh, Wilder walked down the street on like any street on the planet, nobody would know who he is." And yet uh, he's there trying to sell us Andrade uh, and Farmer. Wait, 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 wait. I saw what happened when Wilder came to this country. I, there's a lot of people that know who Wilder is. Yeah, but I say, in the same evening, he's been telling us about how great Andrade and Farmer are, which... Just because Anthony Joshua's on Sky Sports 24-7 does not mean that he walks down any street in the world and someone's <laughs> going to know who he is. I'll tell you how irrelevant Tevin Farmer is on the grand scheme of things. I forgot his fight to put it on the agenda. Yeah, he didn't actually put it on And he was that. fighting a British bloke. Well... James Tennyson, he's Irish. Actually fighting somebody. For a world title, and I've kind of forgotten <laughs> to put it on the fuck agenda. Knows, fuck he's not, knows, like, not Billy Joe Saunders. Farm, farmer's that guy that you put in YouTube clips, and people go, oh my God. And then you watch him, and you're like, this is really boring, unless he fights someone he's loads better than. 
So like a highlight reel boxer. Yeah. You know, like 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 Devin Haney. Devin Haney's another example of that. A guy that looks good in 30 second clips, but you couldn't watch a whole fight. Like Buster Rhymes. Like Buster <laughs> Rhymes. Buster Rhymes is great on a remix. No, no, like wow. Buster Rhymes, great on a remix. Not many people own Buster Rhymes albums. Because it's like, fuck it, I'll just stop. I don't. Woo-ha! You can't listen to that voice of you can't listen to that. It's like someone's fucking started a chainsaw <laughs> next to your ear for like an hour's worth of album. It just you could not do that. But yeah, uh, I guess that's my point with Hearn, right? And I think it's probably a good time to just delve into this wider zone thing because a lot of people are talking nonsense, trying to be smart asses. You know what? Like I like what they do, but British boxing blog, man, you guys need to start winding it in soon, man. Like, what are you really about? Are you about trying to push the sport forward or trying to try to be pedantic and go, oh, it's not coming out of Eddie Hearn's budget? It doesn't matter. Here, here's the reality of the situation in boxing right now. Nobody believes a billion dollars over eight years is realistic in boxing, right? Because we have a benchmark. We have an Al Heyman benchmark who had a far stronger stable, far more dominant position in the US, and he managed to burn through half a billion maybe 400 million. He did. And he didn't see a return on it. So that's why he's having to sweat his assets harder now, right? Hearn has twice that much money. Every negotiator in boxing knows Hearn has that much money. Oh, if he doesn't, they're going to find out he doesn't. So they're putting the pressure up on him. And Hearn has two years to make this work. So if the billion is real, we don't think it's sustainable. We've said it here. We just don't believe there's a billion worth of value in boxing. Now, if the Canelo money comes out of a different pot, we're looking at 1.4 billion now. On top of the shows that De La Hoya has to put on. At $10 a month. Exactly. Now, just the subscriber numbers don't make any sense. And those subscriber numbers being motivated by boxing seems even more fanciful. So if you want to call me out and say it's not coming out of a budget, cool. It doesn't change my point. This is not anything that makes sense financially at 1.4 billion. What, what I don't understand is like you I mean I, I have a great far greater understanding of the highly publicized foot like football than I do the boxing side of things essentially and also football's gone, gone far, something like this. And also far, you sometimes watch football? Yes, yes, yeah. Yes, prior to this. But what I don't get is people always argue when they talk about like clubs transfer budgets and all that. Well, they like to argue over net spend, all these irrelevant statistics. But when you look at when you take something that's it's almost uh, very similar to this scenario, someone like a Man City or a Chelsea, they come in. Somebody comes in with a load of money and they want to make an impression in the market. What has been a common theme is that they overpay for for sort of uh, you know somewhere close to the top mark of players the best they can attract with the uh, with the with the reputation they have and they continue to overpay until they establish themselves as somewhere that these players want to go to and then they start attracting the top talent okay how do you go to america and then you can't even set up shows that are even close to but, being fringe good fights and then try and establish yourself in the market. But Andy, here's the difference. So in football, it's, quite, it's a circular market, right? I, I buy your player for 50 million. You use that 50 million to go and buy something else or to pay down your debt. But that money stays in the football circle. In boxing, if I pay you 50 million 
that doesn't go anywhere in boxing. That just goes straight out the sport. But you don't get that 50 million back. You still have to pump more money in though, don't you? Who? You, for example, if you're if you're Manchester City or if you're Eddie Hearn in this scenario, he's basically just got to throw money at yeah, you. Yeah, but what he's no, saying no, but, is, but, no, if Manchester City paid Liverpool 50 million for a player, Liverpool now have 50 million, they might invest 40 to Spurs and pick up one of their players. Yeah. Oh, so right. that money stays within the so system. It makes, whereas, it makes the system stronger. Whereas Eddie yes. Hearn pays out 50 million to you, that 50 million disappears from boxing, ends up in your bank Goes account. Goes to my dentist yeah. for some gold teeth. Yes, <laughs> with, some, with some rubies. <laughs> Precious rubies. Now then, my friend. So you look back I'm at your friend. We always so want to stop Adrian, for a Terry Singh song. What was the Adrian Broner offer that he made? 6.75 over 12 months and three fights. 2.25. No, 2 million, 2.25, 2.5 million over three fights. Slave contract. And Canelo, $375 million over 10 fights. And this was my point. Broner is not a tenth of the value of Canelo. No way in hell. These numbers don't make sense. So, so when I hear all these boxing Twitter experts trying to quote stuff and say her and say, shut the fuck. <laughs> you can't, you've already, I don't understand. He's like, but no, no, do you know, I get annoyed by this. Like these oh. are the sort of people you want to punch in the jaw and go, you're not getting it, right? This is what you're not getting. It doesn't matter where the money comes from. There isn't the money in boxing to generate that return. So why are you getting excited? If Hearn could have signed Broner, he'd have paid real well, that's money. What, that's kind of what I was driving at in the first place. Even if you've got someone who goes, and I don't know where it's going to come from, so I, this is a very sketchy... I'm just laying this on top of everything that's happening. Even if you've magically found a billion dollars right, to invest in this because you want to take over America, this isn't the way you go about it. You know, like even if you've got even if you've got unlimited amount of money, why are you putting up shit in America? The way you go about it is not to fly over for the last the first like the debut show, Callum Johnson, um Gavin McDonnell, yeah. I can't remember who else. For this one, Kid Galahad. Kid Galahad was fighting a local lad, so I'll give him that. Um there was some sense to that. But the rest of it was like Tommy Coyle. Tommy Coyle was getting flown over for basically a gimme fight. Like, Are you I do, do not understand. Like, Tommy Coyle is not drawing in another 50 people at £10 per, if you're doing or $10 a, per a month. a travelling road show, then you have to have a travelling road show. Like the greatest show. showman. <laughs> you have to have those fighters fighting. Like, for example, the Premier Leagues go around for their summer tour. They, they play each other and then they might play the local but team or they, something like that. They you go know. to places where they're the main attraction in a place that has an interest in what you're selling. Here... Against other big teams. Yeah, here, you're selling me Scott Quigg. Yeah, so if Fucking you, hell. If right, Scott Quigg wouldn't sell out his nan's chip shop. <laughs> but... Go back to like Scott Quigg Frampton. If that was in the States at the time, then you think, right, that's something that people were interested in. And, and it, you know, over there, people might get caught up in, oh, this is a big fight, is it? And it attracts some attention. But this just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't No, understand. no, it does. Because if, uh, if the deal says, Eddie, we need you to prove that your matchroom concept works over here. Right, like any business, show me your model works. So Hearn's going to go with people he trusts. Right, he's got to fill the shows with with his stooges, yeah, just to see if the model Chris works. Sutton. Yeah, do do the logistics work? Can we deliver this? And at the moment, it doesn't look like it works because 
their big gambles essentially are Jesse Vargas, Demetrius Andrade, and Tevin Farmer. They're the big gambles. What an absolute It was really, really either I don't understand the tactic of him in the first place coming out and quoting that it was like a billion. Well, what what did that achieve? All it did was like set himself up for a fight. It, it felt now, even looking back, it feels really naive. And then, and now think about it, right? Yep, yeah, with a sole partner to the zone, it's a billion quid, fantastic, fantastic. Now I'm that that is it John Skipper, yep. the, the guy at the zone. I'm like Eddie was going to bring me Golovkin. Golovkin's just lost. I don't know if Golovkin's driving subscription figures. I've seen his viewing figures on HBO. He's not all that. I need Canelo. Forget Eddie for a second. I need this. I need this ginger guy that looks English. Who? Who? Oscar does what? Who's this Oscar Della? Oh, so Oscar Della Hoya is like Eddie Hearn, talks more nonsense than Eddie Hearn, has more money than Eddie Hearn, and actually boxed in one stuff. That's why he's the gold. Why aren't we working with him? <laughs> wow, it's almost like he didn't know anything why, about boxing. Why did I give this guy a billion? Go and get me him. This guy ain't going to spend a billion. This, this Eddie Hearn's not spending any... No, 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 no. Put him on a leash, right? We're spending that money on him. That Mexican-looking guy there with, with his ginger mate, bring him over. 365 Pay that. Get him down here. Now, now watch how Hearn gets on Oscar's nuts. Oh, yeah. Um... Um, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> got cold. Yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to get Canelo to fight all of my middleweights. We'll start with Rocky Fielding. And you're like, no. <laughs> How about you ask Oscar De La Hoya what he wants to do with the biggest star in world boxing? And I still want to hear Eddie Hearn tell us that Josh is the biggest star in world boxing after he saw that number. Because he's either going to have to tell us the Canelo number's bull, bull, or he's going to have to tell us that the Joshua numbers are bullshit. <laughs> you just went, and then said bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I re- a pregnant pause at the end. <laughs> I, I realize oh. how stupid I sound. But look, that's the truth. We're at the point now where Eddie's got to call bullshit on something, right? He told us Joshua's the biggest star in world boxing. I'm sure Sky didn't give him 365 million. So someone has to have a bigger number than Canelo to be the biggest star in world boxing. So all you Matchroom FC guys, yeah, get at me on that one. Please, please do it. Bunch of fucking mother's sofa-dwelling rats. Uh, how's that non-swearing going, T? <laughs> Done, man. I tried. <laughs> We're North, out. Northbank Bren asks, uh, is there a boxer that would generate more than Floyd Mayweather would for his comeback fighting Khabib. Nope. No, so what he's asking is, this Khabib, the geezer who beat Conor McGregor, yeah. Love Khabib. is there a boxer in the world that would generate more money for Floyd than what Khabib would? Oh, no. And to be fair, that's what he's actually said. I just didn't read yeah, it. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to uh, correct your lack of reading skills. No, you've, 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 you actually, you finessed Without- me out of that. And I just threw myself back into it. Without even being able to see it. <laughs> um, no, there, there, there isn't. There, there, there isn't. Like, the, the Lomachenko oh, thing wouldn't work for weight reasons. Pacquiao's washed. He already made Canelo look like a five-year-old. So, you're like, well, what, what does he need to do? Did, is he likely to want to come? Khabib has said, I want to fight Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. If, if they can find a way to pay Khabib's Floyd 100 million. The entire thing is about ground fighting. Now, no, after he dropped Connor, 
I mean, he considers himself to be an elite oh, right. boxer. Right, so he, he lands one punch or whatever. Like his his main sort of like, mo as a fighter is all groundwork. Listen, he's like Connor's a striker, and he was terrible against Mayweather. He's he's from Dagestan. He could probably do it all. Did man. you see the video of him fighting a bear when he was nine? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: I don't think that Khabib versus Floyd fight sells. Uh, the whole myth of an MMA fighter can quickly switch into boxing fight the best of our generation and then switch back I was blown apart by Conor McGregor. And Conor McGregor yeah. is an entity that sells himself. Khabib, before he beat Conor McGregor, hasn't done that. He's he's kind of... He's surfing on the top of a wave at the moment. But I think that an awful lot of people that would have paid the money for Conor McGregor aren't going to be sold and fooled again. I kind of... I kind of... I really want to be able to see Mike Costello and Steve Bunce get a trip to Vegas again. That's, that's what I'm after. That is the most important thing. That would make don't my lose, 2019. Don't lose sight of that because that's pretty important to the And then sit there going, this is a really good fight. This is a... I won't oh. call it a fight. We'll call it an exhibition because, look, it's worth us doing this now instead of going out for the Canelo-Glovkin fight in a couple of months' time, which they <laughs> didn't go out for. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> um, uh. James Sunderland asks, I'm not sure how I'm going to frame this question because he doesn't actually frame it as a question, but... Well, you can frame an actual question, so we've got problems now. Your thoughts on BT, they managed to get things wrong, but they don't even notice, you don't even notice on Sky Cards. Just look at uh, the looks and the sounds are awful. Pundits look like they've been picked out of a hat. And don't get me started with with the Yard Lions in the... Lions of the camp! There you go. Anyway, so, yeah, your thoughts... Look, let's go back, On the to, the production ge- let's go back to the genesis of this, right? The guy that sealed the deal for Warren and BT Sport used to work for Box Nation. So you already know that this is just going to be a cozy loving, you know? That, that's exactly what this is. It's a cozy loving. They've got someone on the other side that will bat, will bat for them. What they need to do, and I don't know why Frank doesn't do this, is just start from scratch and go, what does a world-class boxing event look like? Let's build that. Because, you know, like the the press conference for, you know, Sadiq Chelly. It looked like it was in like, you, you know, those like sports clubs. It looked like it was in the back room of a sports club. Like, like you know I mean, Harpenden RFC's back room that they normally have for like really low value weddings. And I guarantee stuff. Warren's never, never <laughs> seen, out of principle, never seen a Hearn like uh, a Hearn show I think this is the problem if you showed it to him he'd be like what are you showing me a concert he does. and then he'd be like Francis or a hater who who, who." yeah but why why does he not do take any of it and put it into his own shows Uh, because he thinks what he does works but sometimes when you've been doing it for so long you're blind to your own limitations this is the problem when you said about um, you know start again and make a world class looking product I genuinely think he doesn't believe he has to i genuinely think he reckons the brentwood center on a saturday night with 132 people in there for a main event Just with the whole is. the whole of it blacked out at the back with like six people on camera i think he thinks that is a world-class <laughs> boxing event like this is where as much as we can dislike eddie for the bullshit 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 that comes out of him do you know what? He's done a good job. He's done a good oh, yeah, job absolutely. in changing what the product We've is. We've said that all along, yeah. though. He's done a good job in changing what the product is. Frank, it's passed him by. Let's, yeah. let's be blunt about it. It's passed him by. He should have found somebody else, whether it be his son, whether it be somebody else inside the organisation, that 
could take the reins and revolutionise what Queensbury boxing is. Because at the moment, it's Brentwood Leisure Centre. No, like, g- that, that should have been at York no. Hall. When Eddie's got to put a smaller fight on, he puts it on at York Hall. Like BT Sport must have been watching that on Saturday night with the riots going off in the background with 33 people left for the main event thinking, geez, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? Because I would have been. Because remember when people were laughing at Dennis Hobson's shows? But that might he might be doing more in his shows than that Brentwood Centre did last night. And the tragedy is that card deserved better. That card deserved a fully packed York Hall. If you're going to do it at a smaller venue, a fully packed York Hall. Because when York Hall is packed, it's rocking. And that card could have delivered it. Should have delivered it. Uh, Dan Glozier asks... Uh, you- Did we ever establish if it's Glozier or Glozier? Uh, I think uh, it's a silent G. Glan, uh, Dan Lozier. Yeah, I'm going with that. <laughs> okay. Um asks where would you rank the four governing bodies or three if we consider the the world boxing association as four on current day legitimacy slash prestigiousness or whoever hasn't made a mockery of themselves the most (laughs) can you include the ring also uh ibf number one wbo number two wbc number three fuck the wba ibf wbc WBO, WBA for me. The ring's kind of lost its prestigiousness since it's been bought out by Golden Boy, essentially. There's very little value associated to that for me. The only thing is it attracts the lineage of the titles, in theory. explain what it is? The ring magazine is what it is. Is that... So there's again there's one for each weight category. Yeah, so they they kind of hand out the lineage, the lineal title. So the ring title is seen as the one that can be tracked back through history. So that's the one that the, Fury kind of still handed has. back. No, no, he's oh. he's handed it back or they took it back. I don't know which way around. Um, but they only hand it out when they think like if it's vacant, they only use it when they think the two best in the division are fighting. So George Groves versus Callum Smith the belt was vacant at that point, and so they attached it to that fight. So it could be put on Fury Wilder? It could be. I don't think they're going to because of Joshua. You can't say definitively this is the number one and two, and so they won't use it for that. So So in spite of the fact that Fury still basically talks like he still has it. So no, here's my thing about all of this. So you've got to rank the IBF number one because... If you're called mandatory as IBF, you're guaranteed to fight. It's either fight or vacate. Look at Uskat's guy, the guy that DeGale dropped the belt rather than face. He knew as soon as he beat Darrell, he was like, I've got it. So I respect the IBF for all of their historic faults. Where, when you're on that list, look at Huey Fury. Fury knows if he beats Pulev, he has a mandatory against Joshua. Um, cannot be negotiated, cannot be bullshitted. The same with WBO. happening? Next weekend. Next weekend. Over in Bulgaria. So if you look at the WBO, same principle. You can just, if you're on the rankings, they, you get your shot, right? You get it. The WBC, Dillian White's a prime example. Like, look how they've jerked Dillian White around. And then the WBA. Yeah, but with Dillian White, he didn't fight the eliminator, they called. But he, he was ranked number one on their but list. But only because eight. he held, like, multiple um, iterations yeah, but, of their silver okay, international. But I think my point is, if, you, if you'd taken Dillian White and positioned him on any other governing bodies list, they'd have called a mandatory that said Dillian White. The WBC have this weird way of doing it. Almost like 
almost like pick they, and choose. Yeah, slash depending on <coughs> way of doing what it. makes them the corrupt most motherfuckers. <laughs> corrupt <laughs> FM. <laughs> no, because when you look back at, and here's the thing, that photo of Gilberto Mendoza where he's on the train with Eddie Hearn. Do you remember that? Is that the WBA guy? Yeah. The one that we interviewed, right? The, what, what, the one you interviewed? And then that, the one that put Paul Smith as like number five. Yeah, that's right. And so when he's on this train with Eddie Hearn, there's a nice photo. They're in first class. They've kind of shuffled their shoulder over so you can see it's first class on the back of the train seat. And that comes shortly before Canelo versus Rocky Fielding is announced. For a WBA regular title, a paper title. And the WBA are going to get sanctioning fees off of a Canelo fight. Like 3% sanctioning fees of, off of Canelo's purse, which we now know is going to be roughly $36.5 million based on this DAZN deal. They're going to get 3% of that for a WBA regular title. Like, when you see Hernan Mendoza sat on that train all smiley together, you're like, no wonder they're all smiling. No <laughs> fucking wonder they're all smiling. And that's, why the, yeah, and that's why the WBA are disgraced. Paul Smith, number five, having dead people on their rankings. Trevor Bryan in the top five of your governing body. No one knows who Trevor Bryan is. He was the guy that got beaten up by Shannon Briggs in an Instagram video. And then you've, the WBO, for me, my main issue with that is that as soon as you pick up a WBO European title, you're in that top 15 and you can be picked for a voluntary at any point. Like if you could come to an agreement, you'd get picked for it. And so you've got Leon Woodstock, who's he's not a bad fighter, Leon. He got beaten by Archie Sharp recently, but he's not world level. But he was WBO European title holder. In theory, he could have been picked by Vasil Lomachenko <laughs> as a voluntary defence. This is a guy who got be beaten by Archie fight. Sharp. Be a tricky fight for Lomachenko. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. I, I want to come on to... Fury Pulev then, seeing as we haven't actually talked about it, if it is next weekend, so that would be a legit preview, which we haven't done. But Paul Altai asks, <laughs> I know what this question is. What do you make of this whole Jordan Latimer situation? <sighs> Are presumptions being made against people? Winky smiley emoji. Do you know why he's used that? Because I had an argument with Mickey Hellier about this yesterday on Twitter. Not an argument, I suppose. Was um, worse than mine with Joey Pyle over there. <laughs> <laughs> so, to put some flesh on the bones about the Jordan Latimer situation, he was fighting on a matchroom show a couple of weeks back, um, fighting against John Doherty, making yes. his debut. Right, so Jordan Latimer takes this fight. And I think he takes it at late notice. I might be wrong. Yeah, it's like two or three days notice. He weighed 160 pounds for it. Weighed in at 160. John Doherty weighs in at 170. A whole weight division and a bit above it. Now, at that point, there should be questions. But that's kind of not what the crux of this was about. This was about um, Jordan Latimer came out on Twitter and put up a post about how basically he believes money has gone missing somewhere in the process. So... He's saying this is what Matt, he's found out Matchroom have paid of his purse. This is what he received. There's something missing at the top or the bottom that he hasn't got back. I quote this tweet. And I just put like, this is a, I can't remember the wording of it, but like, ugh, this is horrible. Like the shit side of boxing. For what it's worth, these are my words, for what it's worth, as much as we might slate Matchroom, they will not be in the wrong here. Matchroom will have done right by the fighter. 
unfortunately, not everybody in boxing does that. So Jordan Latimer has tagged in Assassin Boxing, who are his management team. Um, I haven't tagged in, and I specifically haven't mentioned Assassin Boxing, because I know, just as Mickey knows, there are multiple people that could have had their hand in the till at some point during this payment process. Um, And it's not for me to point fingers about who that could be. So I'd left it specifically ambiguous to the point of just saying, Matchroom will not have done wrong here, because... They don't. For everything that we may criticise them for, they make sure boxers are paid. Ask Miles Shinquin. He's one of the biggest advocates of that. Um, but there's money that's gone missing, according to Jordan, somewhere between the purse being paid and him being paid. Someone has taken a cut. It's his view. Um, so whether that's... Who knows? It could be... Well, I'm not going to go into that. But... Anyway, a few like Probably a day wise. or so, a day or so later, Mickey tags me, just tags me into something, um, and it's assassin boxing saying we've been cleared of any wrongdoing in this by and who, by the board apparently. So I find that slightly uh, unbelievable that on a Friday the accusation comes out and on a Saturday they're cleared by the board within twenty four hours to have a hearing, to have all the evidence stacked up and to be cleared. Maybe he's right. I don't know, but whatever. But Mickey tags me in this. And I'm like, right, okay, cool. Like, congratulations to Assassin's Boxing for not having done anything wrong. Cool. But let's not celebrate the fact that a boxer feels that someone has taken money that he has earned in that ring. Um, yeah. Because that's still shit. Like, well, whether it's Assassin's... you're the management, you then want to say, you should be... Expect- you want to be flushing it out. Yeah, not... Well, we didn't do anything wrong. Ex- High-fiving themselves. Like, well, who did then? And yeah. surely you should care about that. And so this then went back and forth with Mickey, who's like, he's telling me like, well, you, it was his wording. You shouldn't crucify people. Like, you, <laughs> you, you know, you shouldn't. Doesn't he listen to his podcast? I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. He put something like, you shouldn't have crucified Assassin's Boxing. I specifically went back to him and said, I did not name Assassin's Boxing in it. And then he sends a screenshot where he's like, well, you copied them in. I said, yes, that's to this thread. Where I said, cool, well done, Assassin's Boxing, for not doing it. That's not in the original one. So Mickey's taken a massive swing and a miss by a mile here. And I hope the boxing's better on his fucking Mayfair shows. And I hope it's better than these accusations that he's made against me here. I have done nothing to accuse Assassin Boxing of doing anything wrong. If Assassin Boxing have done nothing wrong... That's fine, financially. Fact is, you've still put your lad in against a top-quality amateur on his debut. Your lad has gone in £10 under what the matchroom prospect has weighed in at. 160 versus 170 and been stopped in round one. And brutally injured. Brutally injured. As a management company, for me, it's not just about the finances. It's also about making sure you're looking after the best interests of your boxer. If you're telling me the best interest of your boxer is to allow him to go in when the other lad has weighed in overweight and he's £10 more going into that fight, when your lad's taken it a couple of days' notice, then fine. If you think that's in his best interest, he gets wiped out in one round, brutally injured, and now money's gone missing according to him. Like, But, but by the board's own definition, by the board's own questions, these are things that trainers should be aware of. Like... You're not meant to go into a fight like that with a ten pound weight disadvantage. You're if you're talking not. one or two pounds, then fine. Everybody does it. So, if a prospect is fighting a journeyman, the prospect comes in two pounds over. What will happen is 
the promoter, the matchmaker, somebody will try and talk sense to everybody to make sure the fight goes ahead. One or two pounds, the general rule of thumb is it's a hundred pounds per pound. So the the prospect, the kind of ticket seller, will have to sacrifice a hundred pound of their purse and give it to their opponent per pound they're over. Ten pounds is ridiculous, that's unsafe. To me, that's where the management side ought to be coming in, saying, actually, there's a problem here. Actually, yeah. our lad should not be like, in this fight mm. at all. Let's pull it. So Let's fine. pull it if from the got, card. If you've done nothing financially wrong, then fine. Absolutely fine. But don't high road me when you're clearly irresponsible when it comes to actually managing a boxer's welfare. Yeah, so which, it's actually, which it's is not, evidential. It's nothing that needs to be proved there. You yeah. put them in with someone who's battered them and then subsequently... You know, history's played out. It's, yeah, it's not assassins that have had a go at me about this. It's Mickey Helliot. And as I've said to Mickey all through this trail, you can read it on Twitter, there is nothing that I've said that assassins have done wrong financially. I've just said there are people in boxing that will do you wrong financially. And if he's denying that, he's wrong. Because there are people that will do you wrong financially. I just know Mickey Helliot's going to be there December 1st, man. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. I remember, I remember cool. What? Look, I've nothing against Mickey whatsoever, but the way that he went for me on this was like... Oh, it takes me back to when uh, Steve, I'm not sure if he did, said it on the pod or not, Steve Goodwin, when he said, there's, when I first started off in boxing um, promotion, there's no lessons, there's no, there's no training course, nothing. All you learn from is getting screwed. <laughs> the first guy screws you and you're like, ah, best not do that again. Then you get screwed again. You're like, I won't do that again. Yeah. That's the training course, Bit, getting screwed and learning from it's getting screwed. It's in any screwed. other profession you'd pay for the training. Here, you just pay by getting screwed. <laughs> Um, that is all of our questions. Certainly, all the questions that you've sent through to me. <laughs> Pulev, um, Fury, and there's also you. the Matchroom card. That's a decent card next weekend at the Copper Box. I've got tickets. That is a very good card. Let's touch that first. All right. Then. So you've That's got it. Craig Richards, Jake Bull. Um, yeah. Look, look. Spider. Uh, nah. Do you know what? Until until I hear Jay Ball come out and say he doesn't stand alongside Billy Jarvis that behavior, man, I don't know if I can ride with Jay. And the reason I say that is you were in the car when Billy Joe did something that was utterly disgraceful. And after that, you're on pictures side by side with Billy Joe in Canada together. Now I'm looking at that and I'm like, this isn't good for your reputation. And like, this is when your management need to be saying to you, I don't know if you can do this, man. Because boxing fans remember who was doing what and when. So that's my concern at the moment. And I don't think there's been a strong enough stance against that because that kind of behavior has to be unacceptable. You know, we'll never get that with the spider. But that's a good fight. You know, it's, it's two lads who have each taken a loss in their careers. So Jake Ball lost to JJ Madonna, Craig Richards to Frank Buglioni a very short notice. And so this is another, it's almost a card of like flushing people out again that we've spoken about in the past. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope everybody gets kept on. But that's what it feels like. So you've got that fight. Um, John Ryder's fight in, is it a world title eliminator? Sirotkin, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Um, You're going to it, Terry. You're going to this event. Yeah. I shall shall be Fight cam. (laughs) Nah, listen. Full on full-on ringside seats. Like, I said it at the time. I was like, Hearn will be at this show. I want to find a seat. So when Don Charles is like, why are you buying 200 quid seats? I, like, I want to say it's to Hearn. 
I want to be on Sky TV, sat next to her. Man, es- man escorted out after 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what else you got? Isaac Chamberlain, Luke Watkins. And listen, I'm hearing stuff that Luke Watkins is looking better than he was against Akoli. Like, I mean, I know guys have been doing that work with him. So Luke's coming back a different breed. Isaac looks phenomenal. Like, he he looks a completely different fighter right now. Like, credit to, to Los Cubanos, man, for doing their thing. Isaac looks... Ooh, I'm excited to see what Isaac can unleash in the ring. That's a great fight. Because size-wise, the two match up well size-wise. You know, obviously, Isaac and I had a quick quick conflab. I gave him a few tips on, you know, how I think he can get at Luke Watkins. So I'm hoping for that stoppage win. Ryan Doyle, Jordan Gill, Commonwealth featherweight title fight. Um, Isn't that one of Caldwell's guys? Jordan is, yeah. Ah, oh, this is going to be a great event. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the best fight on it, Ted Cheeseman and Sinia Byfield. Yeah, that, that's gone completely off the radar. That is a fucking brilliant fight. Sinia Byfield is one of the most awkward boxers going. Not in like a, when Sky describe a journeyman as awkward because they fight back, but like his style. <laughs> he just won't go down first round. He's awkward because he just won't so go awkward. down here. You know, Ted Cheeseman, we've seen him. We've seen him fighting Carson Jones. He's stepping through those. <laughs> um, a senior Byfield, he's got that loss on his record to Darren Herman. Um, contentious loss. But the ghost, he's up for it. You know he's up for it. I was going to see the dab. <laughs> yeah, whenever he wins, he dabs in the ring. And then, you know when he did the the crossed arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, it's a it's a good fight because the senior Byfield's coming off that Sammy Magnus victory, um, and he's been pushing for a big fight. He hasn't got the backing of anybody. So are, this are, is, you, are you going to that? No, I'm out on the piss next weekend in Cambridge. Oh yeah, and also Mickey will be there. Hopefully. Yeah, well, I'll, 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 you might see me on Sky sat, sat next to Mickey as well, going arm in arm. Bros for life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, to be clear, I don't have an issue with Mickey Helly. I just found it amusing how he went for me on it. Didn't, it he, was, win the, didn't he win the novice title at 81 kilos once? He, he's got hands. Mickey's got hands. I've no doubt he has. Got hands. He's got that reach on you. <laughs> <laughs> Can't reach him in Cambridge. Um, <laughs> have so, you seen his arms? He probably could. <laughs> so, yeah, sitting your bye for uh, Ted Cheeseman. I, I like it. It's a good fight. George it's, Fox is on there. Listen, if they televise George Fox worth having a little watch he's Don Charles's son so you know the guy's grown up around boxing big heavyweight yeah he's like six 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 seven really really nice guy sometimes I think too nice like we had a chat on Monday and I just said to him you've got to master the the ability to go from being the the smiley guy we all love to crossing those ropes and being willing to just bite someone's nose off if you have to <laughs> Like psychological great, great advice no, from what, <laughs> fight tactics from Chapandama. Well, it's, Joe, it's not fight tactics; it's a mindset thing. And and I, I say it to a lot of big men because a lot of guys grow up big their whole lives, and they've never had the problems smaller guys have had. So when smaller guys start off small and get big, they've got that kind of that that, that terrier in them. You're that with big guys be like mm, whatever jab jab right hand, but you want that killer thing like bah, 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 bam. Bam! Get the fuck out my ring. That's what you want a heavyweight to be like. That's you know when I see heavyweight sparring and someone gets dropped and you say, "Get the fuck out my ring." I'm like, "Yeah, that's a heavyweight." 
Huey Fury, Pulev over in Bulgaria. Well, Talking of heavyweights. That on you on, the, on see, the exact opposite. That you want to see go, bang, 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 get the fuck out of my <laughs> ring. So, I'd love to see Huey Fury do that. <laughs> <laughs> what a contrast. What, um, so this will determine who has uh, a mandatory against Joshua. Yep. yep. And at this point, who do you see winning? Um, Pulev points. Look, look, that see, would be that, that would just show that Fury hasn't. Uh, I've heard. Fury a, I've heard a lot of. Pro- a great I've year. heard a lot of propaganda coming out of certain guys in that camp about how good Huey's looking, what he's doing. I'm like Huey Fury never had physical issues. It's about whether he wants to go in there and destroy Pulev or not. And if he hasn't got that in him, Pulev will just hunt him down. Man, look, Derek Chisora went in there to try and take him out. And he came up on that. You're not going to be there on no just touching the four corners of the ring and all that sort of. Thing. It's not working. It, the way it would go, if at the moment my doubts around Huey are that he's got that raw aggression, the kind of stuff Terry was just talking about. Not that he's got it, but that he can apply it. He did against Sam Sexton. Took Sam Sexton out brilliantly. Can he do that against a better opponent? Sexton got fucked up in sparring though by guys who you know on their way up. Can properly he, fucked up. <laughs> can he do that against a better level of opponent in Pulev? Pulev's not a mug. Pulev's no mug at all. Um, and he's hungry. And it's in his home ground. And so if Huey goes out there just to box and box and box, he could beat him 12 rounds to nil and lose the fight. Feasibly. So we need to see something from Huey that I don't think we've necessarily seen before, which is to attack, sustain attack at top level. I don't think we've ever seen that. We didn't see it against Joseph Parker, which is why he lost oh, the fight. Really didn't, yeah. Um, and so are we going to see... If we see it Saturday night, fantastic. I couldn't be happier because I have a lot of time for Huey Fury. But if you're telling me that he's going to go out there and try and put on the kind of Tyson versus Vlad display, he's not going to get it in Bulgaria. It's not going to come. It, it does. It always felt to me, I've said it before, it always felt to me when I've watched fights like... Well, it was indicative of that fight particularly... Um, uh, Joseph Parker, Huey Fury. It felt like Fury, Huey was doing bas- basically a bad impression of Tyson. That's what it looked like, you know, an ineffective impression of Tyson. So you, you, he needs to bring more aggression. Definitely, hundred percent needs to bring more aggression to it. Uh, I, I would, I'd be so much more interested in a Huey Fury. AJ fight than I would a Pulev AJ fight though personally Pulev pulled out the AJ fight that's why we got Takam like last minute pull out is he going to do the same again probably so yeah to that end I want to see Huey Fury because you know Huey Fury is going to go through it he's going to go through the camp and he's going to fight him and it's domestic you'll have a domestic world heavyweight title fight everyone does I'm rooting for Huey Fury but we need to see something that I've not seen from Huey Fury before and will we see it Saturday night I just there's part of me that thinks we're going to wake up Sunday going, could have done more. Terry, you're largely in agreement with the looks of things. Ah, uh, look, man, I, he has to, you know, we said about Yard earlier, there comes a point where you've got to show us you're the real deal. I think Huey's got to show us he's a real deal now because we've now established Joseph Parker was nowhere near the real deal. Like I said, we live in a world where Joseph Parker held a world title and Derek Chisora didn't. And it, 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 it just shows man, the some justice. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, is there anything else you guys want to cover? No, how long have we been going? What are we at? Like an hour and fifty. Just, uh, just right. We're, we're within the threshold. Uh, oh, better, better carry on to two hours. I've then. got decorating to do. 
Some more on Sunday night. Mate, we got carpets being laid tomorrow. Ooh. I've got to finish off the skirting boards. This is my life. It's been my life for the last week. Oh, <sighs> Don't use any more yes. fucking paint, will yes. you? Yes, yes. Let's touch on, you know, interesting, you know. <laughs> All right, just pretend we're not recording here. <laughs> it's like cunt over there. Didn't see oh, Andy Ailing on the subject of. I saw him. Yes, on the he, was that, he was that ringside. Yeah, but he wasn't. He you was know, on the he, TV. He wasn't integrating. Oh, okay. He's, did he owe you that money still? Yeah, I'll do it. I'm in that zone where I'll punch him up. Dev, if you're listening <laughs> to this, like I'll say, Dev. I'll say to Ailing, listen, where's my 200 quid? No, 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 crack. <laughs> like straight crack. You said you'd pay it. <laughs> Where's my money? I've got it in the cut. Smack! <laughs> I said I've got it in the bang! How far back does this bet go? It's like 18 months. O'Hara Davis versus Derry Matthews. He can almost write this debt off by now, like legally. No, he can't, man. No, no, he he can't. Stays on his credit file for six years. He's got a ducky for another six years. <laughs> yeah, but no, Ch- Chisora and Hay becoming blood brothers. You know what was really weird? Like, I was... So... I I got wind of this happening. And... It goes to show, man. Because, because number one, I was confused. Does that mean Steve's out of the picture now? Yeah. Wow. I know. But, but you know, so I, I reflected on this on the way up here. On the way up here. I said, up here. Fucking hell. Um, look. I can... Here's my take on it. And if Steve listens to this, I'm expecting a left hook to the jaw. At the moment, I think Steve can take fighters to a certain level. Like boxing-wise, you'll avoid all the landmines, you'll avoid all the bullshit, and you'll get to a certain point. I think Steve's good at that. I think what happened with Derek was he's realized he's in his mid-30s. He probably has two big fights left in him before he starts selling his name on the way down. So you know what Derek's thinking? He's like, why is David all up on the TV? He doesn't even box anymore. Right? And he's probably quite right. He's like, why is David, hey, playing poker, being sponsored to learn how to play poker and all this stuff? And he's probably just gone, listen, I've got another 50 years on this earth after I retire. I need some of what David's got. And I don't think Steve can deliver that for Derek in terms of getting him on these programs. But I don't know if Derek's that sort of guy to be on TV and stuff. But I think Derek was just looking for what are those income streams that I can tap into that will help me, I mean, keep me relevant. Because he's got expensive habits, man. I want to so- see Dave and Dell on tour. <laughs> I want to see a world, the musical. a world tour of them two. Like, just like put them in a... Put a fence between them. Just put them in a dodgy Asian casino somewhere in China and just go, off you go, lads. Thailand. Like, see who cracks first. Yeah, just like, just, just watch Chisora snap after about 12 seconds and start filling in Asian guys. <laughs> Ran so, to have all these bouncers coming out of the woodwork. It's it, just like, in what, terms of the detail to it, right? Because one of the things I did want to say, just to close about Steve, is I think what will happen is... Steve will take someone like Linus and take him all the way. And then that will be the case study that says, I don't have to leave Steve at any point in my life. But I think right now there's that point where you can't be sure Steve can take you to that next level. And maybe that's what stimulates I'm going to make an absolute 
um, glass ball prediction here. This will end categorically in flames, tears, whatever you like. You obviously know I have some relationship to Steve. No. Um, really? <laughs> so I see, I see and have seen an awful lot of what Steve has done for Derek. None of which I can talk about on here necessarily. But in terms of making sure that Derek is uh, better off financially than he would have maybe otherwise been. Um, Behind the scenes administration. That makes it sound dodgy. It's not dodgy. It's not dodgy. No, I was just trying to be as vague as possible. Okay. I yeah, like, if you want to give I, a label. I like it. I like, I like how Martin's, Martin's <laughs> no, on full, of, he's on not... full red alert at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything, that looks like, anything that looks like a shot against Steve is getting taken out. No, um, no, 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 no. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get at, if you let me fucking finish, Ooh. bitches. So what Steve has done is taken a man who lost a European title shot in Monaco in a terrible performance a year back and managed to direct his career through um, various means to get that Takam fight, which has left him now on the edge of the pay-per-view fight with Dillian White, which by all accounts is likely to happen December 22nd. Steve has done a fantastic job of all that. I actually think you're right in terms of who can secure Derek the endorsements outside of a boxing ring better than David Hay. Nobody, I'd suspect. Nobody. Um, but all that stuff that goes on in the build-up to a fight in fight week, let's just see how that gets played out. Let's see how that gets handled because I know what happens. To be fair, like, if Dillian kicks off on Derek, I'd be on, like, I mean, imagine you got David behind you and it kicks I don't, off. I don't mean what's on camera. Uh, I don't mean any of that. But but I think my point, and I think this is, I guess this is, and it's a lesson learned, right? David was smart enough to have that big edifice of Haymaker behind him, which nominally you could plug anyone into. So he's got the PR connections. He's got the kind of TV placement people that can get you on TV, get you at the GQ awards and stuff. He's got that set up behind him where he can plug people in. But he hasn't really, you know, like, I mean, he was trying to throw Joe Joyce that way, but come on, man, I, car crash. What would have made the most sense in this scenario is to bring David Hay in and have David Hay manage the Derek Chisora public persona and have Steve manage the Derek Chisora boxing persona. Mm. That would have made an awful lot of sense. I was surprised when it didn't work out like that. Well, actually, yeah, okay. But in the future, maybe it could be Dave, Dell, and Dill. Dillian White as well. Triple D. Sounds like your favourite bird in the Absolutely world, doesn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Oh, favourite heavyweight. <laughs> just, just have, yeah. And then maybe, yeah. And um, Daniel Dubois, I can like, just maybe can retire early because the TV money is so but, big. But it, no, because the, the Asian casinos are paying so much for the five Ds. <laughs> On the Any doors. boxer who's a heavyweight with name beginning with D. I'm like, blokes coming out. What's your name? Ben, but I spell it with a D. Just like, get me on this TV show. <laughs> Just a reality show of heavyweight boxers whose name begins with D. <laughs> Playing, plowing through casinos. DL <laughs> yeah. Jones getting knocked out. <laughs> really? I love it. I love it straight away. This but that, sells. No, but I found that interesting. Um, obviously, like, remember, I texted you guys about that conversation I heard. Curry put that on air. Yep. But that was shocking. You know? 
But listen, all you guys need to say is all the stuff I tell you in here is real, man. And a lot of the stuff I don't make up. It's just about whether we can put a the proof out there. A lot of the stuff I don't make up. <laughs> Some of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's down to you to work out. <laughs> uh, but anyway, listen, here's a tip. All, all the Twitterati, man. Don't don't try and be smart asses with me in 2018. Like, I'm going fear bold on you. Anything that I interpret as being mildly hostile or condescending. It's getting feel bolded out, man. That's like straight up and down. Anyway, listen, anyone that's there on October 27th at the Copper Box, let me know. As always, man, you know, thank you and all those sorts of good things. What else do we need to touch on? Nothing. I don't think we have to touch on anything. I'm hey. surprised Martin's been this focused for this long. Shout, no, listen, only shout, just bowed I'm not here next week. I'm, yeah. uh, Shouts out to the Alliance Boxing Club up in Leeds, man. They finally got their amateur status. They've got kids out there. I mean, like, Credit to Sam and Graham Mattinson as well for what they've done with that gym. Like when I first went there, it was a bit of a, they didn't know where they wanted to go, but now I'm seeing people that can box, you know, this focus. And it's just good to see growth, man. Like the more clubs, the better. Because look, these are the places that give you the boxes you can shit on and criticize from your glass houses, guys. So it's all good. Don't are we done? When you say that. Oh, I said it after. I looked at <laughs> <laughs> Are we complete? Nah, I'm done. I'm not here next week, so. Martin's taken to part time podcasting this season, as we can see. No one likes us. We don't care. Were they singing that? <laughs> just as Terry was plowing through the middle of them. It was just on one. Honestly, like, spend five minutes around Millwall fans, you want to support Millwall. <laughs> like, it's just infectious. Spend, it's... spend 10 minutes around Millwall fans, you get your face punched in. Nice. But <laughs> who won the fight then? Who would you say won? The Travellers or the Millwall fans? You said Travellers walked out, they're strong, no marks on their faces. Just like uh, okay. But they look like, they all look like they'd had bare knuckle bouts in their life. They, they, yeah, when, yeah. When the police marched them out and you were like, you all right, Barry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, you're like, there's a lot of guys that I don't know if I would fuck with unless I was really pissed off because they look like they've been taking heads off their whole life. Right, okay, that's enough, isn't it? Right, thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions during the week, feel free to... Get out tonight, Andy, as well, man. People who are costing me at the fucking Brentwood Centre, like, yo, make sure it comes out Sunday night. Not one person did that, did they? Nah, they did. Tweet if it was you. <laughs> what is that? That Irish dancing music. Oh, the greatest showman. Fuck off. Great film. Shit. Sponsored by. I just. I could just imagine the response I'd get from Stop you. Stop talking over my song. Trying try to advertise a musical to you. I mean. Sponsored by Dell and Dave. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck this. Thank you for listening. We'll see you later. You could have forced <laughs> it at any time. I, I apologise for that absolute hideous nonsense. <laughs>